Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Turkey Hunt's one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. If you want to go further and add some fun and versatility into your hunting program, check out Can-Am's Defender. Pretty soon I'm headed to my buddy Doug's, and we're going to be running around in Doug's Can-Am because it's like, it's fun. You can get around quietly, easily, all over his property. It's just versatile. Oh, I love it. To find your next Can-Am or to shop online and get serious about backcountry travel, Visit canamoffroad.com. Turn something that you kind of dread driving around into something you love. Visit canamoffroad.com. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. Okay, Yanni. Uh, since you're not like the, you know, you're not a co-host anymore. Yep. Um, because you're always gone. What, uh, what I want to do is go back to the thing we used to do when you were kind of an up-and-comer. You could just call me a very experienced guest. Yeah, very seasoned guest. What I'd like you to do is um, do like we do where, like if I have a heart attack. Because well, like we're on the ice. Okay. Let's do that all of a sudden um, the ice beneath me shattered and I <laughs> vanished from sight and yep. the current carried me under the good ice and there was no possible way out for me yep we're and just here, like yeah there's and, and here you Steve. are you all of a sudden realize that um you need to intro the show i gotta jump in you gotta jump in uh-huh carry the flag so let's hear it so like like you gotta set everything up right you yeah. gotta make listeners feel like they're here morning folks <laughs> glad you could join us today on Hunting and fishing with Yanni. Steve's gone. He floated underneath the ice. That's what you're going to call the show now? Yeah. Hunting and fishing with Yanni. Oh, I like it. That's yeah. Good. Jimmy Miller came up with that years ago. <laughs> He's What do they call that? Uh, a voyeur something? No, a voyeur is when you uh, get your jollies off of uh, what someone else is doing. Oh. Well, what do you call it when you can see into the future? Clairvoyant. Clairvoyant. Oh, yep. I just figured with a name like that, he was some kind of marketing whiz somewhere in a 
tall, no, tall Jimmy building Miller, somewhere. The, the story we tell about Jimmy Miller, which we told many, <laughs> we shared many times, is Jimmy Miller once found a buck all tangled up in the twine used to bind hay bales. And he freed it, and then the buck kicked his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So anyways, today on Hunting and Fishing with Yanni, I'm joined by my friends, Brody Henderson. Hello. Ryan Callahan, Miles Nolte. Morning. And Phil, the podcast engineer, Taylor. Hello. Um, should we have a little moment, you know, of silence for, for Steve? At least a toast. I would. I would. A toast. I would really like uh, to do that kind of thing people do when um, when you, everybody shares a word. Oh, oh, just go around and everybody says Shares. some memory or yeah. something. I, that would be. That would be. I, I, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, being as how I'm more into the logistics of things, I think we got to figure out how we <laughs> tell the fam. And then also figure out if we're just going to keep borrowing his stuff like he's still here. <laughs> just divvy it up and take it. Or divvy it up and take it. Yeah. Um, I'll start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and do we... Do A we, kind do we man. Fi- do we fish, but also generous. Do we fish out the day? <laughs> well, at least until the bite slows down. He He'd would want it that the, way. Yeah, he would want that. He'd give you the shirt off his back. Yeah. I learned something. So from- <laughs> we're here uh, ice fishing in Bozeman, Montana. It's uh, super sunny out, so bright and sunny out that we decided to erect a nice Eskimo. What's this? What's this uh, pop up thing called? This is the fat fish. Eskimo yeah, but there's more than that, fish. right? Yeah. This is like it's like a it's like a one fifty. I don't remember the numbers. It's like you wouldn't fit this thing in a trailer park lot. <laughs> it's a very large. Like you'd have to get a, a double wide lot. Well, Cal and I lived in it for a few days. Yeah. It was very comfortable. Tell it, me about that, Miles. It was. Well, we just came back last week. We went on a little high mountain ice fishing trip chasing around burbot and brook trout and whatever else we could find. And uh, we we just put the tent up and slept in it. It's big. It's insulated. Had tons of room for gear. Cots. If you just heard Brody do a very faint... Um, I think that might be weird. It was... I prefer, (laughs) but Brody does, um, oh, that's because when you're guiding and someone misses one, you got to be quiet. Oh, you can't be like, (laughs) oh, you can. Yeah. Set, 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 set. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, go on, Yanni. I'm still under the ice. You're still under the ice. Where where do you want me? I wasn't prepared for this. This was, uh, you're about done. You're about done. I'm, I'm busting up through the ice. Okay. Hey, Steve. I'm, <laughs> I'm back in my seat. We're over here. Uh, real quick. They're still not biting. Real quick. Um, a trifecta. Well, okay. There's a trifecta of finger stories that just came in. Oh, I was talking about people getting their fingers chopped off all the time. Um, th- it inspired a guy. Go on Instagram. I just put it up. It'll be old now. So scroll. By the time you hear it, it'll scroll way ass down. Uh, you'll see a great picture. A guy just sent us a picture of um. <laughs> snagged his old man so hard on a back cast with a big saltwater fly that he snagged him so hard that he uh he busted off forty pound tippet on the on the forward stroke. Oh. And there's a great picture of half his old man's face with this giant hook just an inch below his eye. Oh boy. I posted oh. that on Instagram. At Steven Ranella. Um, <laughs> but a trifecta of good finger stories came in. 
Guy wrote in. Uh, oh. Oh. oh, fatty. That might be the fish of the day there. Guy wrote Monster. in. My father is an electrician and was wearing his gold wedding band at work. That's a good conductor. Um, you know when people like to do things about like how we won World War II? Like we couldn't have won World War II without Butte, Montana. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you stole my thing. Oh, really? Oh, well, sorry. there's a version that we couldn't have won World War II without the hydroelectric dams on the Columbia, because smelting aluminum um, requires so much electricity, requires mm-hmm. so much energy that we were able to outpower. The Krauts. Hmm. Still okay. calling them the Krauts, huh? <laughs> yeah, for another generation. I might have my children's children retire the anger. Okay. You know, my kids, when my kids have kids, I'm going to have them go to Yanni's Solstice party and uh, chop into the log their anger at the Germans having fired upon their great, great grandfather. And it'll be gone after. And then the family, um, the the family animosity toward the German army, will be over. Okay. Uh, they shot a hole right through my dad's rain poncho, Brody. <laughs> Scared the shit out of him. No, I get it. <laughs> I get it. And, well, I could tell you some more horrible stories. <laughs> uh, he, he, he made me lose my train of thought. Uh, things that won the war. Oh, yeah. There's an argument that our hydroelectric projects along the Columbia. Um, I don't know where this is articulated, but it was like we were able to produce aircraft and uh, at such an, like an astonishing rate because we had such an ample supply of electricity mm-hmm. from hydroelectric projects. I'm not telling you this is a fact. I'm telling you this is a theory I heard. Another one, Cal, explain the one you were given. Well, uh, Butte was uh, producing more copper than any other place in the world at that time. Yep. And and our all of our... A bunch of stuff for fitting out ships and everything else, but also brass for uh, shell casings. And I heard wiring that, like the Manhattan Project, all that stuff was gold wiring. Oh wow! Um, there's a great. There's a guy, uh, Ed. There's a right. If you ever want to read a story about all this, Ed Dobbs has a long article about Butte in the in the metal mining in Butte called "Pennies from Hell." Um, it's a good explanation of what we're talking about. Anyhow, but why was I talking about that though? So somehow I'm figuring this power plant oh. uh, or the dam has to do with someone losing a finger. Oh, it does. Oh, gold. Here's the man. thing. I was saying that gold's a good conductor is what I was trying to get at because about the Manhattan Project and how they use gold wiring. So, guy, his old man's an electrician. And he's got his gold wedding ring on at work. Oh, this is all making sense now. He got an energized wire in contact with his wedding band on one side and the ground wire on the other side. Melted the wedding band into his finger and had to have it surgically removed. Now, he just has the scar ring and doesn't need to wear a wedding ring anymore. Mm. He's scarred into, like, marriage. Uh, scarred into marriage. It's kind of like the tattoo Scarred thing. out of marriage. I mean, you see guys do that or gals tattoo the ring on. Similar concept. Another guy uh, writes in, uh, same guy. So the man, the man that did this to his finger, okay, he gets it in his head to make a jewelry box 
for his wife for Mother's Day using some locally sourced Russian olive from along the Yellowstone River. Mm. That's cool. Probably some squirrels around there, too. <laughs> Loses the whole damn finger on the router. Couldn't find the finger, and a week later, they found it stuck to a window in the shop. Whoa. Ooh. Last place you look. Last place you look. <laughs> um, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was making uh, a bunch of faux sighting for the First Light Trade Show booth. Mm-hmm. And uh, had to drive it all down to Salt Lake City and, and was on a real tight schedule, and I had to go, came up a little short. So I swung by the wood shop that I was borrowing and was zipping uh, you know, I was basically making veneers, right? Which is just take the fancy looking face off a board and cut it real thin. And then you just take that. So it's not structural or anything. It's just ornamental. Yep. Um, and, uh, and put my thumb right into the, into the blade on the table saw. But you uh, still have it. Still have it. But I'll tell you, um, immediate recognition of the whole situation, right? Kel, you might explain to people how you're fishing and why. Effectively. Yeah. No, I, I give up. You're right. That's why. Earlier <laughs> when I thought you were wrong, it, you didn't invent this, but I, oh. Oh, I, just, I just dropped this fish in the hole. <laughs> explain your explain your approach, Kel. Um, then I got one la- our, the last of our trifecta of finger stories. So the, the approach is basically just using the rod and reel to um, dole out enough line and keep the line organized. And out of the way, and then I just hold on to the monofilament and jig with my fingertip. Um, oh, fatty, oh, fatty! But Got you know, <laughs> I'm over here just doing it like the old timers <laughs> with a pole, um, with a pole. <laughs> but the reason being is like I'm just not a good. I don't have the feel that you Midwest folks do for perch. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, here's the final one, final finger story. I like this couple. Uh, it's a couple. And for Valentine's weekend, they're going wolf hunting. Okay. And a uh, little Valentine's trip. But as they're loading up the, uh, as they're loading up a side by side into an enclosed trailer, the dad has the mom guiding the winch line. Oh, boy. Yep. Right at the first knuckle. Oh, oh. He says, oh. Happy Valentine's Day. Remember that one forever. Uh, here's what I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. A guy from in the U.S. Marines. This is this is like you pay it, like most of the stuff we talk about. You just ignore, but don't ignore this. A guy in the Marines says he's watching our show, Meat Eater, on Netflix, and he notices that when I am scanning my surroundings, I scan left to right, which is true. Yeah, and he's not talking about through binoculars. He's just talking naked about- eye. You just walked up onto a little rise, and you stop. You take a look around. He said that we get used to this because in our culture, not all culture, like Jap in Japan, like you start at the back of a, what we'd call like the back of the book and read it right the wrong way. <laughs> um, here, right, we read. We we do a lot of uh, left to right. He's saying that in the Marine Corps, they are taught to scan. Right to left. Does it make stuff jump out more? Because it makes things jump out. Boy, I've been doing it. It is not the same. 
Like, because you're so used to going... And just moving too fast. You go to... Like, I just started looking out my window because I scan the hill behind my house all the time. And I scan it left to right. And I started doing it right to left. It's a different experience, man. You experience everything differently trying to look right to left. Hmm. I think it's a good idea to do both ways. Yeah. Because it's different. Like, your eye hits different shit going right to left. It's a good tip. Yeah. Hot tip. Uh, last, last story. You know, the, 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 the finger losing stories led to have, have people who regular listeners have been following, um, led to a lot of nipple losing stories. Uh, more, the guy wrote more in, nipple ripping. Has anybody actually lost a nipple? This guy did. Okay. Feeding a horse. Ooh. As a kid, holding a bunch of hay for a horse. The horse got aggro and irritated. Took the nipple off. That's terrible. Yeah. Wow. I'll vouch for it. My mom's horse bit right through my jeans one time. <laughs> he says he gets fan. <laughs> Did you get everything back? It's a guy yeah. telling us about his buddy that has this happened to him. But he says he gets phantom nipple syndrome now. <laughs> and he gets within 100 feet of a horse, and his good nipple starts to twitch. You think of that? Wow. Uh, I don't know about now, that. Now I'm going to close out Hold this on, round. Hold on, there's a horse coming. <laughs> I'm going to close. <laughs> How do you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to close out this round with what I think might be a bogus finger losing story. <laughs> a guy, guy says they used to always sneak into to a swimming pool they weren't supposed to swim into. And one day they get busted. So they run out of the pool and jump the fence. And his buddy loses his finger jumping the fence. Then later they go back to find it and check this out. I, I this I have a hard time believing. This is why it might be tied up and finger losing stories because it might be that it's just entered bullshit. He says they go back and find a different finger. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean that is a hey, great story. Be like, yeah. Do, what do you do then? Do you be like, well, put I'll it on it. anyway? Yeah. yeah, it's a finger. It's, the, it's what I've got, Cal. Uh, a woman sent, uh, have you seen this box that we just got in the mail? We got a box full of a bunch of kinds of baby, uh, san- hand sanitizing wipes. Really? Wipes. Oh. And Ziploc bags that are marked, one says Ryan and one says Steve. And it was a, li- a watcher of the show remarking on how filthy we seem to be all the time <laughs> and our filthy food handling techniques and thought that we would... Uh, be wise to start carrying these labeled bags full of these wipes. Well, thank you. Yeah, which I, got me thinking. <laughs> I had a note for a long time to talk about a thing like we use like a lot of wet wipes mm-hmm. uh, in 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 place of toilet paper or in addition to toilet paper, backpacking. And um, I made a note to talk about this when you get a a cold morning and you got a frozen one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much that? What I like to do is I take that frozen one out, and I actually tuck it against my skin on my shoulder. Soften it up. That's the first thing I do. Then I pull my pants down, and you know, right? No, you gotta you gotta think ahead. Then I have that sucker, and it is wet and warm. <laughs> That's a hot tip, man. That's I, better uh... than scanning the deal all that left or right. <laughs> I'm not a uh, not right a left. not a traditional uh, uh, baby wipe u- user, you know. I, I, you know, it, it's 
I always get uh, disgruntled with extra stuff and what is extra stuff and what's just like. Yeah, but what about extra stuff on your butt? Well, uh, Miles and I's uh, you like that? last ice fishing trip. <laughs> uh huh. Mm-hmm. I was having a bit of what they call monkey butt. Oh you yeah, know, you're, chap ass. Yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of lot of layers. I don't like I don't like calling it monkey butt, but um, but hold on now. Well, you might not be talking about two different things, but I feel like monkey butt or chap ass has to do more with like the the outer chafing. meat and the chafing, and then it's where your butt cheeks rub. But together. if we're talking, but about, it can happen from having a poopy bottom. <laughs> I don't think or, so. I yes, think it's it can. Two yes, things. it can. Not to me, but I've heard. <laughs> From reliable people. <laughs> well, even if it's not that, I feel like the solution, though, clarify your is, problem is to get get a good. Yeah, talk about what the problem is exactly. Oh, just like a chapped butt cheeks. Where they rub butt yep. cheeks. We're talking cheeks. Cheeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a friction situation. Your sphincter is fine. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, I but, don't think people's sphincters have anything to do with chap ass. No, but I think. It, oh, but sometimes I've had an irritated sphincter from. The, from <laughs> I'm sorry. How are you pronouncing? I think Shrinkster. the word you're looking yeah. for. It's like talking no. to. <laughs> earlier we were talking about Hogan's heroes. It's like talking to the who's the guy? Colonel Clink. <laughs> Colonel Schwink. My Schwink. I like the way. I'm gonna uh, say yeah, it I think the word you're looking on. for is. Uh, it's a tough one. Sphinxter. I'm going to take a shot at it. Uh, sphincter. sphincter, sphincter, sphincter. There's, there's no ch there's no in there. Sphincter. I just call it one of my orifices. <laughs> so That's good. we had wickedly <laughs> low temperatures, right? <laughs> and um, all we know is, like in town, the one night hit 36 below in town. I think we had a bit of an inversion, so it was warmer. But also, we had a bottle of bourbon freeze up there. So that's uh, when you know you're fishing. Yeah. <laughs> when the bourbon freezes. And I've never seen that happen. We woke up in the morning and the bottle was frozen solid. And I, I did a little extra research on that, and it seems like most folks agree that um, somewhere in that negative 14 to negative 18 range is what it takes to freeze a, a bottle of 80-proof uh, whiskey. I said bourbon first, but, you know, whiskey. Anyway, um, so I, I went out to one of our ice fishing holes that we hadn't been using. And uh, just punched a hole through that and gave myself good, good cleaning out there on the ice, and really, totally fine. Even at, you know, whatever negative fourteen to eighteen to twenty, it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Like, and I didn't walk away from that being like, man, I wish I had baby wipes. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Baby wipes bring up there's a disposal issue. Yes. Yes. With baby wipes. And what I like is I like these single use wet ones. Now, granted, I don't use them every time. The single use wet ones, because what I'll do is I just do like the, uh, it's just a light touch up, a light check, a quick check at the end with a wet wipe. <laughs> then I just tuck it back into its little baggie. Oh, okay. Mm. Gotcha. But, or you can dry it out if you got time. You dry it out in the sun and you can burn it. Yeah. You, you don't gonna, have any babies, Cal. I think if you had a couple laying around, you'd use the wet wipes. I'm going to advocate for wet wipes beyond just, just the beehole, though. Like, when I was when we were guiding up at wilderness camp in Alaska, and you didn't get to bathe very often, like, taking one of those at the end of the day and just kind of hitting up the necessary areas. The hot spots. With a quick once-over really kept you going and kept you fresh enough for, like, however long you had to be out there. It was it was kind of a lifesaver. You ever oh, see yeah. the giant ones called, like, shower in a bag? Mm-mm. No, I've never it's a, used those. It's an ample. 
It's like an ample sized wet wipe for doing a wipe down at night. Mm-hmm. Oh, you feel good sometimes. Yeah, man. no, it's amazing. Like, you need Yanni. that. Bluegill. Oh! Nicely done. Nice. Man, that's the Howley jig. Uh, right? Yep. Yep. Giannis, tell everybody about, about your uh, – people have been asking, like, how you got kind of, like, you quit being on the show and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you threw that one back, too? I thought that was a big one. Miles is on. I'm just eating perch. Oh! Big perch. That's a fat perch. Uh, yeah, we haven't pulled one out of the ice that isn't a big pregnant female. No. Um, you know, they're a free cast spawner. Oh, they are? Yep. I thought they'd – so no nests. No, they like to go off uh, windy points and stuff and free cast spawn. Disperse. Mm. That's how Um, whitefish do it too. I I, Mm -hmm. let's try to you know you know a bluegill being a a bluegill being a a nest spawner, bed spawner. Let's uh, try to keep egg eggs and see if we can't cure them. You ever done that? Uh, We fry them, but you know I've fried them and I've poached them. I have not tried curing perch eggs yet. Well, it's very simple to do, so it wouldn't take, but. 10, 15 minutes to try it. So, Miles, you're actually being humane over there and, and dispatching your fish. That is what I do. I know not everybody agrees, but. No, it's not, I don't think you can disagree with it. I think it'd be more like. Whether you take the time. Not everyone yeah, takes, not everyone the, takes time. the time. Yeah. I think I think that's a better way of putting it. Uh, Yeah, like, let's say a big thing grabs. We talked about this before, but a big thing grabs you. Brody's on. Big thing. Nice perch. A big thing grabs you and drags you underwater. Has no intention of letting you go. Would you rather it drove a big spike through your head, or the, waited till you, uh, you know, died? I'll take the spike through the head. Yeah, no uh, question. Y- Yanni, you've been gone a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell people what you've been like the project we've been working on? Yeah, we've been working on a project called the. Uh, Tentatively called the Fur Hat Ice Fishing Tentatively. Tour. Is there dis- is there I keep hearing that there might be a different title. I like that. There's title. no I, I don't think Who'd you hear title. that from? Well, Miles was involved in one of the conversations. Really? What do you guys of. think about calling it? No, no, no. It's it's just that we're we're kind of separating out some episodes into the tour part oh, okay. and some into the local part. It's gonna be fur hat ice fishing. No question. So but the ones that I the worked ones, on were they fur hat? Yeah, the ones that we went on were you know when we were traveling around. That's the fur hat ice tour. Yeah, because I made it a point to pack around not only my fur beaver fur hat, but also uh, Steve's dad's uh, coonskin fur hat, and then Steve's beaver fur hat, and uh, a lot of the guests that we uh, speared and fished with wore them. We're quite excited about it. And listen, man, those hats are no joke. They're amazing. Dude. Cal. Warm AF. Cal and I lived in them. <laughs> oh, I, I slept, I, I, was slept told on, I was told on Instagram that I, 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 I moved farther away from being a boomer by using AF in my post the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess that's like a real hip thing to do. Anywho, uh, so yeah, so Miles and I, Miles has been producing this content, and we took a couple uh, videographers with us. I want to right now formally put to rest any notion of this not being the Fur Hat Ice Tour. Okay, done, done. deal. All right, Chief Creative Officer speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we went to uh, Minnesota first, and uh, we fished an unnamed or speared an unnamed lake. Yep. For very the very it was the very first thing with uh, old Mark Norquist. Not that it's unnamed. You just don't want to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. 
It has a name. It has a name, but he he asked us to keep it. Uh, yeah, I got you. Keep his spot quiet, and uh, we speared some pike and some whitefish, uh, and then uh, Chef Lucas Leaf uh, cooked us up some delicious whitefish cakes. And uh, what else did we, we had do? Some fried pike. Some fried pike. Yeah, yeah. that was really good. Delicious. You know, and years then- ago we did some whitefish spearing on uh, Whitefish Bay. Mm-hmm. You know, in the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. He says how they would have made Whitefish Bay had they put 50 more. 15? 15. Oh, oh. What does Gord say? Does he say 15 more miles behind her? The searchers all say they'd have made Whitefish Bay if they'd put 15 more miles behind her. Yeah. That sounds right. Not 50. Anyways, in that bay, what what, what happened with your fish? It was a little guy. Oh. Uh, anyways, we used to spear that bay. And uh, did you guys line the bottom with anything for for visibility? No, because oh. it turns out that and and everywhere we were speared is had the same rule. You can't really do that. You can't lay down anything that you can't retrieve, even oh. if it's organic matter. That's a good rule because mm-hmm. we were just kind of like younger and not didn't think really sure. think things through as much. We would slice potatoes very thin. Yeah, and then drop sliced potatoes down the hole. To where you got a nice white bed on the floor. Wild. So that you could see the fish pass over it. Because it was deep, murky water. And you'd have those taters down there. But what's funny about it is there's some current. So you'd always have some dude outside the hut <laughs> drill a hole. And the current would vary. So some guy outside the hut would drill a hole and fire down a potato slice. And you'd yell out, like, little farther! <laughs> and then they'd got to go and drill another <laughs> hole and drop a potato slice. And you're staring down your hole to try to see. Then if also when he's on bullseye, it's like live ammo, you know? Then you start firing in tater slices because they're, they're, they're bombing in at the right spot. You know? Oh, this is fantastic. But my brother Danny, he really kind of pioneered this for our group of friends. And uh, But, man, you'd fish all – you'd well, you'd, like, drink and fish all day to get a handful of these fish. But, man, was it fun. And then your shanty, you had to have your name on your shanty. I remember one year, they had their name on their shanty, but this thing froze in like it was wood. And it froze in to a degree you weren't getting it off. So they tried to just leave it, again, being young and dumb. They tried to just leave it, and then they got a notice. Like, get your shanty. And they came out and had to burn that son of a bitch out of the ice. There was no... Getting it out of the ice. Which is also illegal most places. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if there's like a, a middle ground there where you could be like, well, I put a bunch of pontoons. I fixed a bunch of pontoons to the shanty. And tied it to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for it to float. Right. All right. So uh, I'm sorry, guys. No, Go on. No, that was a good divergence. And I'd never, I'd never done, I mean, I've done open water ocean spearfishing before. But I'd never done ice spearing before. And yeah, the difference was, being that you're throwing a spear through a hole in the ice. Yeah, it's really, but it's a it's a hell of a lot of fun. I, I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. You know, there's a lot of sitting and waiting, and and I didn't know how that was going to go. But man, I I I don't know about you, Yoni, but I thought that was really that was fun. great. I'm gonna have like a final wrap up thought comparing general ice fishing like what we're doing now to spearing oh no i haven't I got like you haven't even started yet we i know i have a lot to go through because you want to talk about the sturgeon yeah so uh yeah we speared there and then we went over to uh lake winnebago but explain the process oh 
You want to get deep here. Yeah, I want, okay. to, I want you to tell people about, because you've engaged in three kinds of spearing. Northern spearing, yeah. whitefish spearing, sturgeon spearing. True, but the whitefish and the northern spearing was through the same hole. No, yeah, but they're not drawn really... to the same thing. Yes, they are. They are. Actually. What? Yes, we were using the same decoys. Oh, you know what we used to use to lure them in? Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. In amongst the tater slices <laughs> <laughs> were a lot of boiled, the smallest macaroni you could find. Hmm. Boiled. Chum. And you felt like that was chumming them? Dude, yeah, you... Do I feel like it? You'd watch them down there eating the macaroni. <laughs> really? Yes. I bet they were taking them for little grubs. Yeah. I bet that looked just You'd like little grubs. You'd see him nose in, and he'd pick the macaroni that landed off target, and watch him, and the sons of bitches would be down there eating macaroni. So why were you, were you spearing them because that was the only legal method of take? Why weren't you fishing with macaroni? Uh, these were a species of whitefish called Menominee. And they have a they have a mouth that would make like the pupil of your eye look big. So hard to hook. Yeah. But they would go down and kinda it's just like very hard to hook. Uh and it was deep and you didn't throw the spear. It was a very heavy weighted spear with very fine needles. Many needles. Probably like twenty needles across. We used to make our own. We made some of our own. Uh, and it wasn't like a fan blade that you could propel. You couldn't like... You know that white, uh, some of those whitefish spears have like a... What's the word I'm looking for? Plane. Like a, you can plane them. Like yeah. you could shoot off at an angle. This you would have to hold over directly over the fish, eyeball down it, and just open your fingers and let it fall. And it was weighted. Like you take a pipe and fill the pipe with lead. And then out of that pipe with all these needles. And... Drop it on them. Pin them to the bottom. Yeah. But small little fish. But there's no way they'd come into a, a, a the same lure you'd use for a northern. So you're mm. picking up fish and taters at the same time? Yep, fish and taters. Would and you just take it all home and fry it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mention that because you're right. Now and then you would get a tater on your <laughs> you could get a tater on your thing. I'm I'm like a I'm like a poser. Danny and Matt and our friend Matt Drolls were they were like the guys that they pioneered it. I just would go up and visit them, and yeah, and I'd go out there and you know basically be like mooching off them, yeah, like their shit, their spot, their know how, and I'd be like, oh, that sounds fun, right? Yeah, we wanted to do that. Like I said, every, every, when we were uh, spearing for the pike and whitefish, we were not allowed to put anything down that you couldn't retrieve, and the water was pretty clear. We were only spearing probably five, six feet. Yeah, right. Yep. Um, where you could really see the whole bottom, which was sweet because when the perch came in, of course they did that when we didn't have a rod ready, and then the next day we had a rod ready, the perch didn't come in. But you could just sit there and watch them hanging out, doing their thing, and you know it was nice. You just watching watching the um, the uh, plant life down there, moving around in the current. When you're just staring into a hole that where there's no bottom, it's a little bit tougher. Yeah. You know? Doesn't have quite have that slow TV feel because anymore. you're you're fishing northeast in such deep water, slow. Or I mean, sorry, shallow. We where we could see the bottom very well, so we didn't need. No, but when you talk really, about staring into a hole with no bottom, um, well, that comes later. That, okay, that's the uh, sturgeon. Can you do it? Can you discuss this for me in a way that it's outlined, like what the the how we moved through the tour? Is that what you're asking? No, I want to outline by fish. 
So picture like Roman yep. numeral one. Yeah. And Got under it. that is what? I'm also like fishing, so I might not have missed something, but what are we on right now? We're, we're still on pike and whitefish at the, at the first stop. Okay, but, but I don't want to talk about them in the same way. But we, it's hard not to because we were doing the exact yeah, we, same thing in the exact same changed. spot. One would just show up or the other one would Correct. show up? We, we yes. literally changed nothing. Nothing. Same spears, same decoy, same hole, same everything. Okay, yes. do it your way. Go on. <laughs> um, yeah, so, well, if you really want to start at step one, we went out there, we drilled a hole, we peaked, Drilled or sawed? Drilled. And then peeked down into that hole with the jacket over our heads to check for clarity and for depth. Okay. And when Mark felt like we had both of those nailed. And what did he like? Uh, again, that, you know, I think we were, he was looking at five to six feet of depth and looking for just good clarity so that we could see fish coming through. And a hole in the weeds. Oh, that's right. We were and looking. And, you and, want to you you have a, a sandy spot in the weeds that you can look at. Yep. Um, for visibility. Yeah. Not that you couldn't uh, clear some some plant matter out of the way once you drilled your spearing hole, but then it would, you know, muck it all up. It would take a while to settle out, so it's better just to find a hole for better visibility. I'm realizing how much I missed you, Giannis. <laughs> just hearing you explain this. Um. Oh, thanks. That's nice. Um. Then we drilled, I think, six holes, kind of like what we have here right in front of us um, in a rough three-by-four-foot um, pattern, and then connected those drilled holes by using a hand-powered uh, saw that was specifically made for um, cutting ice. Is it like my ice saw? I don't know if I've seen your saw, but like a you know solid three-foot blade. Folding. Folding. Yeah, folds. Was it blue blade? Yep. Yeah, it, it was. was. Did it have a pin that you yeah. used? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we used two different manual one ones, of them though, was now. One, one of them now. was that blue one. And the Any- teeth, the teeth very far apart on it. Yeah. 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 It cuts surprisingly well. Yeah. I was, I was oh, shocked. Yeah. I bought well. one for beaver trapping, but just never used it. Yeah. I just used the axe and stuff. Yeah. So we cut a hole and here we removed, I say here because later when we did some surgeons fishing, we also cut a hole and we did something different with the ice um, that we cut there. But here we removed it. Um, you put screws in it and pull it out. You know, it kind of broke apart, and so uh, he just had these giant tongs, giant metal tongs that you could grab these big chunks with and yank, yank them out. Ice tongs. Yeah, and uh, it worked pretty slick. And uh, Do you think it's additive when I tell you little things that uh, I think of? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that it's, uh, it's just part of the deal. <laughs> At my sister-in-law's ranch. They still have. They have a pond that was made for ice. Their, their yeah. ranch is some old-ass ranch. Yeah, I've walked across that they pond. They still have a pond called the Ice Pond, and they still have the Ice House. That's awesome. Next yeah. to the pond, and the pond was made for the purpose of, like, it would freeze, you would cut ice, and drag it into the Ice House for the summer. That's really cool. Still sitting there. Love it. That's amazing. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> um, so we remo- removed the ice, and then we set up a... Uh, Dark house, very important when you're spearing that the inside of your shelter is black or dark. And you have to Colored s- dark. Yeah. I mean, not all of them are, but I think it helps because what you're trying to do is limit the reflection, any sort of reflection onto that open piece of water that you've just created. Mm-hmm. So you also throw snow all around the edges to, so you're not letting in any you know light coming 
the only light you want is the stuff that's going through the ice outside of your shanty or uh, pop-up tent and then coming up through the hole. I just thought of something. Tell me. Uh, this guy rode in, and his buddy had his fish finder down, and the guy was fiddling around his own hole next to him. And his buddy's like, <laughs> sees something. He can't tell what it is, but he sees something dropping. Mm-hmm. And they think it's like a fish. They can't tell what the fish is doing. Like the fish was at the surface, but dropped down. And later, the other guy realizes his phone was gone. The heat on the on his flash, or he'd watch the guy's phone. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, I'm done. I'm not. I'm just gonna keep my thoughts. No, you're myself, not. That's man. too bad. We don't believe you. <laughs> I'll make a bet. You can't no, it. it's so annoying. Five minutes. No, I will because it's so annoying. Go on. Um, so there we were inside of our uh, blacked out ice tent. Miles, we were using a, an Eskimo ice tent similar to this one, weren't we? Exactly like this one. You fact. know, one time I was out ice fishing. No, I'm joking. And uh, I'm trying to think. Well, Oh, yeah. So the decoys. The decoys are a huge part of spearing. Uh-huh. And... Mark had decoys from maybe even his grandfather. Hand carved. Yeah, yeah, hand carved from his grandpa. And just like they hit it in a really cool old school briefcase. <laughs> really? That, yeah, mm-hmm. the briefcase was a hundred the briefcase was as cool as the decoys that were inside. Home and, like a legit briefcase. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, like you know how it is? It's like, oh, a random briefcase laying around nobody's using. It. Let's put the <laughs> decoys in there. And so it was handed down. I think he said that he had, he had to sort of share it with his brothers, but he he was the keeper of the briefcase. That's pretty funny. Yeah. And, I just um, dug a uh, briefcase out of the dumpster there at my uh, condo complex. Don't know what I'm going to do with it. I just didn't feel like it should have got thrown well, away. Tell me what else you found, Cal. You this is a, Cal's story. I want everybody to know <laughs> this is something Cal thought of, not me, but it got me thinking about what he was already telling me yesterday. Go ahead, Cal. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what you're going on, but I found two pairs of boots in there, too. That's what I'm talking about. And I didn't feel like either. One one brand spanking new. What? The other one. Brand other spanking new ditch diggers. Yep. Yep. Irrigation boots. And then the other set is like a nice pair of ropers that just need a little bit of love, but the soles, like leather soles and totally in good shape. So then oh. Cal's got to go hunting Hold around on. for a home are for this stuff. Are those the ropers that you left at my house Those yesterday? are the ropers I left at your house, ah, yes. What a mystery. I've been asking everybody, and everybody's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, there's a pair of boots out there with heels on them, laces done. <laughs> nah, yeah. Nobody knew. Well, I, I asked I asked your wife if, if uh, she... she I was like, I don't want to leave these with you if they just turn into something that you, then you have to go take to Goodwill. And then I'll you got to dig Goodwill. it out of her dumpster. Right. But yeah, anyway, I got this neighbor who keeps, like, if you want, there's a government building right next door that's got a recycling dumpster for cardboard. Mm-hmm. And this dude, like, just the amount of cardboard that is in the dumpster, like, clogs the whole dumpster with cardboard <laughs> that is totally recyclable, which ticks me off. And then he's always throwing away brand new stuff. Hmm. So I'm always, every time, it like makes me not want to go to the trash. Because every time I go to the dumpster, I'm climbing in the damn thing, pulling stuff out. Saving the world, Cal. Dumpster diver. Yeah.
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Hey, I've said it before and I'll say it a thousand times more. If you got a family and you got people that rely on you, you need to take life insurance seriously. And Policy Genius is the country's leading online insurance marketplace. So with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Your life insurance policy you know, that you get at work may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. Policy Genius gives you unbiased advice from a licensed expert support team. Now, this is super convenient, right? Because a lot of times, you know, something like life insurance, you're just going to put it off because you're like, when will I ever have time to do that? I don't even know who to talk to about it. Well, this helps you do it online. Okay, again, you're comparing options from top companies, all right? Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy myself online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day, I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability. And way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Go on, Yanni. <laughs> there you are. Big de- briefcase. De- decoys. <laughs> Big decoys. briefcase. So anyway, I got decoy. a briefcase. Old decoys. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the decoy with uh, the pike and the whitefish, we had a decoy stick which had line just between like two small nails that were pounded into the stick, line wrapped around it so you could adjust the length of the line down to your decoy. And one guy 
if you're if you're spearing with two guys, one guy sits there and and uh, works the decoy stick, and the decoys have fins on them that aren't there just for looks, but actually you can tweak them. They're usually like aluminum, so you can adjust them and how far, how much the decoy um, sort of planes out and how wide of a circle it makes when you drop it. So you can sort of you know jig it fast, jig it slow, and then just let it glide. And some of them, if you bring it to the top of the hole, they'll glide for, I don't know, 10 seconds before it quits moving. You know? wow. Were these you guys not into again. the, are they not into that little reel? There's a reel you hang from your. No, some guys will do the pulley system. Yeah. None of the people we were with did the pulley they system. They go direct rod to, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's not even calling it a rod, it's not. It's a, it's a stick. stick. Jig and pole. It's just a, like a stick you pick up off the ground. Yeah. Oh, with a couple more, nails pounded. It looks more it. like Harry Potter's wand than a fishing pole. Do you guys get the impression, though, that the actual look of the decoy is a factor? Or is it just no. something about That's the size? That's the question that, I had. I think for pike, it matters. But for none of the other species, my limited knowledge, which is granted very, very small, but it seemed to me the pike were going to be keyed into something because they were the only ones that we were spearing that are predatory fish. Yeah. And when they came in, some of them came in hot, you know, and like looking like they're going to smash your decoy. You cool. Know? I don't think we actually ever had we one. One that, actually eat it. Actually eat it? Okay. But the, will those guys like say, ah, this white and red decoy is not working. I'm going to try the green and yellow one. Sure. Oh, yeah. I'd try chartreuse. Oh, yeah. For sure. It ain't no use. It ain't no use. Um, the red and white was actually the hot color. That was. And, and is this stuff that we can look forward to on some footage? Oh, you guys buddy. get some footage oh, of that? Yeah, you're going to see it all. No way. Oh, yeah. And that then how so cool. far below the ice do you want to work that? Because you want to bring them up, right? You want to bring them up into spear range. Well, the bottom was only six feet away. Okay. And, and I speared fish from the bottom all the way up to probably two feet below the surface. Well, uh, when we used to set tip-ups, like if we're setting tip-ups in 20 feet of water, we and this is in Michigan where you can use live bait. Mm -hmm. If you're in 20 feet of water, we would we would hang that sucker minnow six feet off the bottom, thinking that he just has better chance of seeing it from way the hell off, mm. rather than it being down high and long. You're like, you imagine him cruising along on the bottom and seeing that black sucker minnow against the white ice. That was always the logic, right? Yeah, I, I don't like know. It. Then it might See be that. that he's reluctant to then. Leave his little zone, maybe. But that was the thinking. I like, I like that. Yeah. I I will say I picked up one tip from my own mistake with uh with pike spearing, and uh, and that is when you see one coming in because sometimes you can see him a ways away and, and the one of the the only really what I think was really big pike that I saw coming in I got a little too excited spooked him and I was like pike guys pike and that thing just blew out no shit oh yeah. He didn't even come to the, edge of the hole. Spooked, like turned and blew out. Huh? And so, you, you say I you can my see him coming from a ways because of electronics or because you no, can no, actually with see with my naked eye. Oh, because yeah, the hole's so right. So you got a three by four foot hole, and um, you could where your Cal and I sitting are sitting opposite of each other right now here in this hut. And so if we had a hole cut here underneath us, I could probably see well past underneath your butt. Okay. Especially if a fish was two or three feet below the ice, and you could see the same thing underneath my butt. Did you oh, guys okay. take that saw and angle cut your edge so you get even better visibility? You know, we had uh, shallow ice there, um, but in a later spearing story, we do. You angle cut it. Yeah. Yep. That's a good trick. Yep. It's it's a good trick, but it's freaking creepy. Because when you're sitting there, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's two inches yeah. of ice. You look like you're sitting it, on nothing. It, it looks like there's no ice. 
it's it's a trip. Wow. Uh, yeah. So we uh, jigged the old decoy around, and uh, and the thing with decoys is is that you can have the one that looks like a fish, redhead, white body, chartreuse, whatever. And then the next thing, the guy's like, yeah, but you know what my favorite is, is this golf ball. <laughs> and he's got a golf ball with an eyelet sticking out of it, and he ties that thing on and sits there. And, and after 10 minutes, I'm like, I'm sorry, but let's go back to the uh, fish with the red head. <laughs> um, they got all kinds of stuff that they'll put that. down there. Just and it's so illegal thin. to hang a sucker down in there. Not anymore. They changed the law in Minnesota. We just found this out. Yeah. That you can now, we had, at one point, we had suckers on harnesses yeah. swimming around down there. Didn't do us any good, but we tried it. Gotcha. That That rule has changed. Did he, do you remember when he said it changed? In the last five years, I want to say. Yeah. Like 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 a 14-inch sucker. No, we were fishing smaller than that. They were more like four-inch suckers. And yeah. when you say harness, it's like a set of hooks, right? You're not like little handmade little chest harnesses for like you see with people with their dogs these days. No, it was not hooked. There were no hooks in that that fish at all. What? Yeah. Purely harnessed. Can you guys explain why people would choose to spear rather like kind of asked Steve earlier, but like why were why were you spearing instead of fishing? I think a lot of times it's way more productive. Well, that's my question. Why? why if we're we... sitting here with gigs right now, you know how many panfish we'd have? Not many. A shitload because they're down there staring <laughs> at it. We don't have a camera down, but I guarantee they're down there staring at it. Yep. I think there are a couple answers to that question. One is a lot of people get into the, the historic nature of it, right. right? Spearing has been around for a long time. It's, it's a tradition. You know, Mark, who we were spearing with, was taught by his grandfather, who was taught by who knows before him. And for him there's a sense of nostalgia and pride in continuing that tradition. Yeah. So I think, I think for some folks, that's part of it. Um, with the whitefish and the pike, I don't know, man. I think we probably would have done better just standard fishing, but it's so much fun. It's so right. interactive and engaging because you're just looking into this hole and you can see them coming. And if you're not like me and get all excited and spook the fish, they actually come in and you can spear them. That to me was, it's a different way of fishing. And I found it to be differently satisfying. And then, we haven't got there yet. Yanni hasn't got there yet. But when you get to the sturgeon, you're not allowed to fish for them with right. hook and line. So that's the only way of, that you can take one of those fish. Okay, Yanni. Briefcase is out. You're jigging the golf ball. You go back to the red and white fish. Um, yeah, then eventually. Sorry, Brody. Yeah, all right. Eventually, uh, I'm trying to think what the first fish was that came in. Was it a white fish or a pike? I don't know. Hard man. to say. Hard, hard, to, say. hard to remember. But uh, it's tricky because you tr you're need to make sure, you know, there's other fish swimming around in these lakes that you can't spear, you know? And oh, if yeah. he's at the bottom, you got to be like, okay, you got to know for sure what you're, what you're throwing a spear at because there's no catch and release, you know, with the old spear with giant barbs on it. Um, so either way, I don't I can't remember if it was a pike or, uh, or a whitefish, but uh, – yeah, I got really lucky. I think I ended up spearing two of each, and then I only missed one. I had a four out of five hit ratio over the course of two days. That's great. Yeah. Big whitefish. Yeah, they were both like, uh, I don't know, close to 20 inches. Yeah, they were, they were in that 20-inch range, 1920. Three, three pounders, maybe. Yeah. Son of a bitch, really? Yeah. yeah. Those are nice whitefish, man. Yeah, for sure. Just so folks know, these are not mountain whitefish. These are Great Lakes whitefish. Lake Superior yeah. whitefish, right? 
Isn't that, is that what they're, they're called? It, we, like, you call them like lake, lake whitefish, white fish. and then people get confused, but yeah, lake whitefish. No, I should say great lakes because they're all over the damn place. Yeah. In Alaska. I think I think they're just lake whitefish. Yeah, they're up here got in it. Flathead Lake. Yeah. But the one that's Flathead not, Lake, not, not native, though. they call Lake Superior Whitefish. Yeah. Because there's both, right? There's mountain whitefish and, yep. and those guys. So then what happens, Giannis? Now, when you go to huck the spear, is it a jab? Is it like a, like a, are you hucking it? It depends on what the what your uh, target's doing. Because if he just comes in and then he knows it's a decoy and he's just sitting there, and like Miles said, they were spooky. And so um, you're holding, you know, you have your one prong of the spear just stuck in the, on the far side of the ice hole. And so when you see the fish coming, you just slowly grab it and kind of get it ready. The head's, into the, head, the head's into the water. The head's below the water. So surface. you don't get the refraction. Yep. And, uh, yeah, if he just came in and is sitting there looking at the decoy, you just slowly move it right over the top of him, and you can just drop it. But we had other fish, like the whitefish really, whether or not they came to the decoy, hard to say, but they're pretty much just swimming through the hole. So it's like, there he is, and you're going to throw. Because you're, so, you're almost having to lead him a little bit. So I might be right in that that, that whitefish doesn't give a shit about that big decoy. Absolutely. I, I saw nothing. That's what I was trying to. I was trying to like you saw me trying to like milk it out of Giannis. But we, uh, it, it's hard to say. Like I don't think we know enough to know that. I never saw a whitefish that was clearly locked into a decoy. No. But may, they might have been somewhat interested Curious. in that. That brought them to the general area. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, yeah, I've only speared for whitefish two days. So once I've got a hundred days under my belt, I'll give you a better answer. You know. Yeah, I got you. Watching through the ice with a camera, you can lower big stuff down and little teeny fish that have no, they, they can't have any notion that they're going to eat it are still like, what the hell is that? Right. Yeah. Just curiosity. And they approach it like out of curiosity. Yeah. They're not like zooming in. They like come by and like, what the hell is that? And then just swim off. Curiosity satisfied. That's something different. I mean, you know, you're yeah. swimming around down there. Everything looks more or less the same. You see something different, you're probably going to check it out. Yeah. I've been living in this pond for a year. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never, never seen, seen that. that. I've never seen one of those. Um, the thing about the spearing, though, that uh, and this is true for both the sturgeon spearing and this whitefish and pike, is that you really get this feeling much the same way you do when you're fishing through an eight-inch hole, and you look out on the expanse of a giant frozen lake, and you're like, man, we're really hoping these fish swim through this 12 square feet. Oh, so funny. You know, yeah. and not all that other stuff. So you're yeah, like, you know, hundreds wh- of acres. Why, yeah. why not have something down there that may attract a fish, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm trying to think if we're any, missing any like interesting details about the. You know, one thing itself. in that that was different than, than what we did later was the, the replacement of the ice back into the hole and then setting up all the sticks. Yeah. To freeze into the ice. To keep snow up. machines from ditching exactly. in there. Yeah. Know. Which, you know, seems super obvious, but I'd never done it before, and I hadn't thought of that till we got out there, and Mark started cutting brush on the way out. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, where I grew up, you put a, your Christmas tree down in there. Mm-hmm. Because then when the ice melts, and this is illegal, but then when the ice melts, <laughs> depending where you are, when the ice melts, the tree falls in, and then supposedly it's great for crappies. Well, we used to, we had Christmas trees sunk, and you would catch crappies in the spring off those Christmas trees. Uh, yeah, this is a separate conversation, but I'm uh, the reason that became illegal is because a lot of DNR biologists were going, "This is changing the pH of the lakes in a really negative way." Everybody dunking their Christmas trees down. I'm not advocating. I'm just telling you. Yeah, <laughs> fair we enough. Used to live, when we were young, like in high school and whatnot, uh, 
we lived uh, divorced from any uh, divorced from knowledge. Just people, old people did stuff, and then they told you to do it, or you just did it too. No, that was what you did. Red squirrels that eat time. the nuts off fox squirrels. It's just <laughs> just what happened. It's just the that. way the, how how things are, son. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, it's not you to you put your tree out on the ice. <laughs> Damn it! <sighs> and if someone says not to, they're a commie. <laughs> uh, when we were done with Mark and spearing pike and whitefish, Lucas made us some nice, uh, like I was t- saying earlier, some whitefish cakes fried oh, out on man, the ice, which were right? delicious. Those were so, so he good. cooked and then formed his patty, or formed his patty with raw fish. Raw fish, huh? Yeah. How do how do you mince it? Hand mints, right? No, he cooked them first. He did, yeah, and then fried. He cooked them, again. them just till they were flaking. Okay, and then made his patties, and then yeah. did a quick fry. Got it. Very yeah. large, chunky pieces of flesh in there. You know, it wasn't all super shredded, like a crab cake almost. Oh yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, very much. Yep. Because I was, I got a whole mess of carp, and I was thinking about just running oh, some yeah. through the grinder. I would highly recommend. Food that. processor works good because mm. the bones when you food process it. The bones, you're cutting the bones up enough where you don't need to worry about it. Mm. What my folks used to do with suckers is, they didn't do this a lot, but they'd now and then do it, is cut up the sucker, not worry about the bones, and pressure pressure can it. Yeah. Pressure cook it in jars. And then put the jars on the canning shelf. And then anytime you just go and take that sucker meat out, and the bones would have dissolved. And then you'd make fish cakes with them. Got it. Because the pressure cooker just zapped the bones. Yeah, you're gonna have to shoot me a good fish. I mean, I I can whip something up, but shoot me oh, a good worry. bomber recipe for fish. We're gonna cakes. have one up That'd on the good. website very soon from Lucas Leaf. Excellent, that's good. So Perfect. we got one coming. That's a tip. A hot tip on fish cakes is um, just you can just cook your fish. Yeah, just bake the fillet, let it cool, shred it up. It's picking bones is easier once it's cooked. Good shred use it for, up, make a fish cake. Good yep. use for leftover fish too. I got one other tip from Lucas on that that I really liked, and that was his frying batter, which was just Cheez-Its put through a blender, 50% Cheez-Its, 50% pancake mix. Crucial to use pancake mix that you still have to add egg and milk and whatever, maybe oil, whatever else goes into pancake mix, not the stuff that is just just add water. No. That was very important yep. to him. Yep. And I tried it. It came out good. But I tell you, you got to have a good food processor or blender for the Cheez-Its because you got to get it super fine. You got to get it just as fine as the pancake mix. Otherwise, oh. you know, when you're battering it, you end up, the big chunks come out first. Yeah. And then you're just starting to work with a finer and finer mix. I can picture that. But uh, yeah. Tell me about, tell Del- me some more fish and stuff. Delicious. We headed over to uh, old Lake Winnebago. No, you can no, say this no, now. No, no, uh, Malax, which means. Thousand Lakes? Mm-hmm. Lake Thousand Lakes? <laughs> I think just, just Thousand, thousand lakes, lakes. Mill so, Locks. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I got you now. Yep. Mill Locks. And uh, met a lot of very kind uh, Midwesterners. I, mean, I learned a lot about uh, hospitality and just uh, politeness. And um, But you're from the Midwest. I know, but growing up there, how how you can't you can't nothing to relate it you to. You can't yeah you can't judge 
Because yeah, you're that's your home place, and all you hear about is Southern hospitality. And I'm not gonna like really dog on Southerners. I think they're they're pretty hospitable, but I married into the South, and I've really enjoyed the hospitality down there. But now being living out west for two decades, and then going back to Minnesota and Wisconsin, blown away. Like I feel like there, people will actually invite you into their house a stranger and, and give you like a place to eat and sleep. Like just very, very nice. I just want to give a plug for the old Midwest. Uh, so yeah, we went over to Mille Lacs and we're, the plan was to go uh, walleye fishing with Mandy Yurk. Mm-hmm. That's how you say your last Mandy name. Yurk. Right? You know, you're not supposed to generalize. It's bad to generalize yep. negatively, yeah. but generally shouldn't it be positively? okay. To, shouldn't it be bad to generalize positively? I mean, no one, people are going to get less pissed about it, but your point is is valid. I, yeah. I think is it okay to generalize positively? I think it is. I mean, that just makes people feel good. The problem with generalizing negatively is that it makes people <laughs> feel <damn> shitty. <laughs> Where were we? So we got Mandy Yurick. Oh, generalizing. Super nice people there. Super nice people. And uh, Mandy Yurick was going to take, uh, take us fishing for walleye. Tell me about this individual, Mandy Yurick. Uh, Mandy is, you remember her actual title for the Minnesota DNR? She's like a habitat planning director. She basically works on, on all, all manner of habitat projects. And I think she, I mean. Like dumping Christmas trees in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be, it could be like a brand new, um. Even though it's not like what you think of wildlife habitat, but it's it's part of land that Minnesota DNR manages. But she might work on a new campground one day, infrastructure, and then it could be you know getting a piece of land that's just going to be used for um, grouse habitat or something. Right? Got it. Does that sound about right? Yeah. That's a good job explaining, Mandy. I hope I'm doing doing your justice here. And then on the side. She is a very, very busy angler, professional uh, bass angler, and then uh, a recreational angler of just about everything. Everything. Um, and that's just now. She's got a great story. I can go on for a long time, but just very quickly, she grew up in a family that owned a fishing lodge on Devil's Red, Lake. Devil's Lake in uh, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. And um, out of her whole family, she was Cal. What you got there? An old boot? Uh, maybe. Edge of the hole. Something. Cal snagged up. Um, she had brothers and a sister. Nobody took to the hunting and fishing like she did. And at a young age, they knew that she liked it so much that her dad just started sending her off to other outfits to learn how to be a duck hunter or a duck hunting guide, how to be an elk hunter or an elk hunting guide. And so very early on in her childhood, she was getting shipped all over the place to basically learn any and all different kinds of hunting and fishing. But she never went the guiding route. She did. No, she, oh, did. she did. Yeah, yeah, so after she got that dialed in, she she did some guiding for a while. And then uh, I don't know really what took her out of it, but uh, like I said, now she works for the Minnesota DNR. Seems to be very happy. Uh so yeah, she took us out ice fishing on Milax, and Milax is a uh, a giant. Oh, I missed him. I did too. That's weird. They the, come in waves. The, the school came in and 
Suckers. I'm out of the game over here, messing with my setup. Uh, Textile Millax. Millax is interesting because it's got a lot of controversy going on around their fishery. They have an excellent fishery. Like when it's when the fish are biting, which they really weren't when we were there, but when they were three days prior, they can catch trophy-sized walleye almost one after another. Is that fair to say? That's from my understanding. We never saw it firsthand. Yeah, but. we saw plenty of pictures. Oh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> I, might, fishing I, shallow. I might be in the weeds. No, I had a, I had a legit, I, I had bite a, too. Yeah, legitimate hit. Um, it's the tightest slot limit. I've ever heard of. 21 to 23? That's it. A two-inch slot. Um, what is going on? And you can only keep one. Now, that obviously makes for a really good fishery, but a lot of people are bummed because not too long ago you could keep six. That is a, yeah. Okay, so. Tight it, slot. Tight Very slot. Very tight slot. For a f- fish that people are primarily going after for food. Oh. Yeah, they ain't after him for the fighting. No, yeah. they're not. They like them because they're good in the grease. Yeah, so to only be able to catch one is, yeah, you know. What percentage of fish that you're hauling out of the ice are hitting the slot? Well, for us, zero. Zero. I mean, we it's, caught. It's tough to catch slot limit walleye over there. And and I think that part of the reason we wanted to go there is that this is an, how they got to this place with such a tight slot and such a low harvest for recreational anglers is an interesting story. And it's, you know, Minnesota DNR trying to keep the fishery really, really healthy, but at the same time, keep a few people happy. It's a, it's a, they're on a tightrope over there. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, that lake, it's changed for a lot of reasons. Um, it's become clearer than it used to be. And Miles again, correct me here if I'm if I go astray with my knowledge and how shit works. But um, when the water is a little bit dirtier, and it used to be dirtier because of zebra mussels. No, it was dirtier. Well, but it was dirtier because I mean cleaner because of zebra mussels. There was actually uh, you know not straight up sewage, but treated you know human gray water going into the lake which causes micronutrients, stuff eats micronutrients, the bigger stuff eats that, and while I like it cloudy. They they're like they're a low light predator. And yeah, zebra mussels cleaned it up and the fact that they said no you can't dump this water into these lakes anymore, it cleaned it up. Hurt the walleye fishery. But it's made for a great smallmouth fishery, it's made for a great pike fishery. It's trophy musky. Trophy musky. It's got uh drum Yep. Trophy drum in there. Talking like freshwater drum. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. What they call sheep's head over there. Yeah. That's what we oh, grew up really? calling them. Yeah, That's we grew up funny. calling them that. Yeah. Call them Gasper Goose in Texas. Yeah. What do they call them? Gasper Goose. Really? Huh. It's a Louisiana term, I understand. Hit and miss on the eating on those, man. Yeah. Like a weird texture. Like the flays look like they should be so good. Really? The first bite, you're like, it's not that bad. But just like a, the Boy, third. Uh, you ever cut the Enthusiasm. Rocks? Yeah, we get the rocks out. My kids got a handful. The one, uh, we got two uh, this summer out of uh, river here in Montana. And they were excellent. The flesh is excellent. like eating cheese curds. It squeaks Whoa. when you bite it. And it's that dense? Huh? It's, it's like not a that dense, dense, squeaky cheese squeak. 
Man, they were, I, I'm bummed to hear that because I was like, boy, I am going to come back here and target these no, things. No, this was totally great. edible. Enthusiasm does not grow as you eat the fish. <laughs> then you're a little kid and you eat mixed like Pepsi and milk. And the, fir- <laughs> and the first sip be like, it's good. Right? But you just couldn't. Never did that. You don't ever finish it. Talking to a guy who knows who's a commercial fisherman in the Midwest and harvest those, he claims that he can grade the drum fillets based on color. And that if you find the like the pearly white ones, he he claims you can't tell the difference between those and perch. He he can sell them as perch fillets, but if they have any yellow to them, then they're really only good for the smoker. That's That's interesting. That's what this guy told me. Yeah. Interesting. I was just bummed by the like the physical makeup of that fish. You look like you're going to get a load of meat off of that thing. Low yield, a lot of head. Go on, Yanni. You're doing a great job. We caught some walleye with Mandy. Um, she did most of the catching. I did watching. Uh, it, it, the very interesting that I've seen now that I've done all this ice fishing is just between walleye on different lakes. Completely different techniques, completely different like jigging strategies. Um, Mandy's jig was see, maybe you can describe this. Look at my hand and my rod tip. Yeah, the old pencil. I mean, it, it, it's almost just like you're you sort just don't have a steady hand. You got the coffee shake. It's like your your hands just shaking. That's oh, I'm jigging. sorry. I thought you were just shaky. I thought you're I thought you're demonstrating the grip. No, 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 no. Just a shake. That, that's like yeah, you're literally. And but what's funny is that so we're using um, hummingbird uh, sonars. Is that what you call that device? Flash flashers. Flasher, which it's not like a true Vexlar flasher because you're just you're watching like a graph like you would on your your regular fish finder. Um, but you can see your jig down there doing that little shake when you're doing that to it, and you don't want it. There's no you're not lifting it an inch, two inches, six inches. There's none of that. It's just the shake. Good job, Cal. Cal's Cal. got the shake you... down. Oh, I got the shake, oh, buddy. Oh, come on, a... come over here, Brody. And I do need Hot one. Bite. Um, so you're sitting. You're you're actually. This is where ice fishing gets interesting. I'm gonna see what you guys all feel about it. Cause here we're not looking at a flasher. There's no camera down. Well, we would be, but we'd be too distracted. Yeah. Okay. Well, there, we're looking at a flasher, and you're not really paying attention to the hole too much. You're pretty much just watching that graph, and all of a sudden, your, 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 your bait, depending on what colors you set up, your bait's like a little squiggly blue line. And you're watching it shake around. Every now and then, you lift it just to make sure that's what you're looking at. And the bottom's red. And then every now and then again, again, a red line the size of a fat nightcrawler lifts up off comes up out of the bottom and that's what a walleye looks like and it comes right underneath your little jiggly blue line and just kind of suspends right underneath it and at that point you start this sort of dance with that red line your blue line with the red line and it's you jig a little bit less you stop maybe for two or three seconds and at this point you're waiting for the tug but you might you know lift it up a little bit the red line follows sometimes you get a take if not you drop it back down or the red line loses interest and again red line is this walleye down there loses interest drops back down to the bottom so you drop your bait back down and you're just trying to hold it you know inches from his nose just be just eat me eat me eat me and um it seemed like i, th- I, I like i said i only caught maybe 
I don't know, three, four over the course of two days, maybe five. Um, it seemed like the bite, I would j- jig, 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 or shake, 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 and then I would just let it sit still, and three or four seconds into letting it sit still, you'd feel the tug. And you pull the walleye out. Did not catch a single one in the slot. Oh, man. And were you, you're you That made walleye fishing real hard for me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Real hard. Yeah, I think, well, within the group, you know, we had some other people helping, and while we were... Mandy and I were fishing. They'd be fi- fishing off by themselves. And I think we ended up catching a couple over the slot. Most of them were shy. Most of them were 18 to 20-inch type fish. Um, and uh, But no, nothing in the, nothing in the 21 to 23-inch slot. Oh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we got them t- to 20, and then we got them at 24. <laughs> yeah, I, and, you know, that's which makes sense. It's such a popular lake, so many people fishing. Any of those fish that are in the slot... They're coming home with people like yeah, immediately. I got you. You got to think there's a lot of people that just avoid that lake, right? Oh, They're like well, I'm just just want to not mess with. Yeah, this it's a trophy lake. And yeah. I'm not. I'm not like I don't know enough to criticize. I'm not criticizing the management decision there. I'm just saying for me personally, like I view walleye as walleye for eating. Well, it's eating fish. That's yeah. why, to in my, me, for, in my view, that's why that lake is an interesting story, right? Because it's not that far from the Twin Cities. Tons of people grew up walleye fishing there and taking tons of fish out, and the the fishery has changed and more and more people are fishing it right and they want to make sure that they've still got a walleye fish sure man so like it's I said, not being critical no no i get it yeah. i get it but to me it's it's not a sense of like whether or not you're being critical it's it's that this if you're looking at at the universe of fishing stories that one to me is is worth checking out because of all the things folks nice nice fish Brody. all the things the different things that are having to balance there the different user groups the, the amount of anger that exists in that community toward that slot Over limit. that. Yeah. It, people are up in arms. and Well, you know, it's not permanent. Not necessarily. No. The fishery rebounds. Oh, man. But no. if folks could have the ability, I'm saying in general, you go to these fisheries or hunt areas, if folks had the ability to look beyond what they're doing that day, the world would be a much different place. <laughs> I mean, my yep. gosh. And the other thing that's funny there is, yeah, the the walleye fishery, it's still great. It's not what it used to be, but people are pissed off, and they have one of the best, arguably the best smallmouth fisher in the country now as a result of the changes to the water clarity there, right? Like when when it was really turbid and the walleyes were kicking ass, it's because they could out-compete everything else. Now you got a much clearer fishery. Smallmouth, they're really, really good. They're not an ice-fishing fish on that lake, but in the summer they are. And the pike are really, really good, and they've – I heard a number of people in the Midwest tell me that that is the best trophy musky fishery around, hands down, period. Like, you want to get a 50-inch musky, it's, it's like Green Bay or there. Yep. Change <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's just funny to complain about, you know, I'm so pissed off about this. We have great smallmouth and musky now. Oh, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer to catch either one of those fish. Than it's the just like myself. the pace of wildlife management is never going to meet the pace of expectations. <laughs> That'd be a good T-shirt, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, they haven't not figured out that smallmouth tastes almost as good as walleye either. I brought that up to a lot of them. I'm like, why don't you guys just start frying smallmouth? I mean, really, if you're going to like put some bunch of batter and seasonings on it and then fry it. Eat the smallmouth. Oh, no, no, no. You know, those are those are just for catch and release. I'm like, well, well, maybe you guys will learn later. You I know? know that on the half shell gets tiresome for folks, but 
that's man you cook that thing on the traeger indirect heat is all it is but with the skin on scales on skin on small mouth yeah and that like fat it. just bubbles up through the meat and you can take that hook your fingernail into that skin and just give it a little shake and that whole slides right off the whole chunk of meat just slides onto whoever's plate oh my gosh That's it makes nice. a guy like me who can't fillet anything well look real good <laughs> <laughs> all right jump into the sturgeon yanni yeah, that's pretty much what we did with Mandy, right? Yeah. Try, try to catch walleye. And, try to uh, understand what was going on in Mille Lacs. Yeah. So we left Minnesota, came home for a bit. Then we went over to Wisconsin. And, uh, yeah, first thing we did was went to uh, Lake Winnebago for the opener of sturgeon spearing season. Uh, Miles and I had applied for sturgeon spearing uh, permits back in, I don't know, sometime in the summer. October. October was the deadline. Closed in October. Maybe. Yeah. And uh, if you apply, you get one. It's not like a draw thing. Now, up the, Lake Winnebago is part of a chain of lakes. That um, The, what river? Uh, that's, oh, man. Wolf River? No. Wolf then somebody becomes can, the fox further on down. Somebody but yeah. can correct us. Um, and uh, the upper upriver lakes have a permit uh, fishery there because, as we'll get into, you'll, uh, we we had to spear deeper, dirtier water. The upper upriver lakes are clearer and they're shallower, and so they're you're much like you just see more sturgeon. To point to make it make sense, Lake Winnebago has about a five percent success rate. The upper lakes are closer to like fifty or sixty percent success. 60, so 65. they limit the number. Yeah. Oh yeah. Permits B- up yeah, there. big time. Takes about seven years. Don't apply because Steve and I are starting to apply um, this year, and we want to go in. We seven don't want years. anybody messing us all up. Yeah. So don't apply. It's not that cool. I'm gonna make it sound cool, but it's not that cool. So, uh, yeah, we hooked up with uh, Jake Andrews, his whole family. Uh, and uh, when I say his whole family, that includes a bunch of cousins. Uh, they <laughs> they make up for uh, at least 0.5% of Sturgeon Spears on Lake Winnebago. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it did seem like that, though. Um, yeah, and the, and the Floyd family helped us out a whole bunch. And uh, Jake is like the – he's sort of the captain of their Sturgeon Spearing team. And he does a lot of the um, scouting, which I'll get into what that looks like. And he helps everybody get set up. Everybody else pretty much rolls in, besides his buddy Brian. Brian also is, is hardcore. But pretty much everybody else, I think we had seven or eight total shacks. Everybody else just rolls in for cut-in day, which I'll explain in a second. And then they fish for the season, and then they're done. Jake's out there, not year-round, but once the ice comes, he's thinking about sturgeon getting ready for, for – uh, Sturgeon spearing. Everybody just draws off his teeth. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and he's very happy to be hel- helping everybody out. He know? really carries that. Like he he feels a lot of pride in anybody spearing sturgeon from that oh, yeah. group because he's put so much time and effort into it. And he feels a lot of pressure. Uh, like the first day, he's like, as soon as someone just sees one, and we can say yes, we're like we've chosen well, we're in a good spot. Somebody saw a sturgeon. Pressure, he can relax yeah, a little bit, I got you know. You. Um, so uh, yeah, we hook up with him. So prior to us hooking up with him, his scouting, 
Um, and Miles, you can tell Phil if we get if I get too many, too many details here, we're going to cut this out. But a lot of a lot of people do this. They go out and they look. Sturgeon. Mom, you're protecting his trade secrets. Yeah, we there are certain things we can talk about, and a few uh, just a couple things. They're trade secrets. They're trade secrets. Yeah. So but I think I think you got to start this. I'm sorry, to interrupt you, Yanni. But even I think earlier. I, yeah. Well, the 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 first thing that they figure out is is it a a shad or shad year? Yeah, or not? Or not? Yeah. And well, that there's a fish in there called the gizzard shad. Which is a non-native, mm-hmm. correct? Oh. And it's at the northern end of its limits. So on a warm year, they come up in there and they spawn and they do real well. Um, and they die off every year because the water just gets too cold for them, right? So you get this massive shad die off. A lot of years, if it's just too cold altogether, they just don't show up in that in that lake at all, right? So if it is a shad year... All these shad, um, it it tripped me up at first because I was like, well, hold on. How does a bottom feeder all of a sudden start eating on shad? Well, he's still eating on the bottom because he's just eating dead ones. Huh. So. No. Yeah. He never chases. Why are you nodding your head, bro? He never has heard about it. Oh, you heard about (laughs) it? Like, we used to see those big shad die-offs where I grew up, and all kinds of fish would get on the bottom and eat those things. Catfish and other stuff. Not a way. So if it is a <laughs> if it is a shad year, then Brody's got his Orvis endorsed guide hat on. It's doing me a lot of good today. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be doing me good. If you're my yeah, you're guy. the like endorsed guy, dude. Um. Uh, so if it is a shad year, they find the big beds of shad, and they're basically going to spear over these shad beds because the, the, you can get a lot more protein out of a shad. Um, it probably takes, I don't know, a hundred red worms. And a red worm is basically a chronomid larva. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe the biggest one was an inch long? Maybe. Maybe. Half an inch, more likely. Yeah. And uh, so, this year was not a shad year, so you got to go out and find worm beds. Okay? Worm beds are there, there year after year, but, like, the the nucleus of the worm bed could change by... 50 yards, 200 yards, maybe 50 feet. So you're looking and for density. Density, mm-hmm. exactly. So they got these. Jake had his own homemade contraption, which basically looked like a coffee can. A wormometer. With, uh, with closing flaps at the bottom. And uh, drill a hole. Drill two holes. You're gonna, you need the second hole later. Drop your can down there. And it's on a chain, so you can kind of pound the bottom with it just a little bit. And then on like the third or fourth pound, you drop it in there, and the, the little flaps are open. And then you pull up the secondary chain, which closes the flaps, and you basically have taken a substrate sample. This is great, man. Three, this is next level sturgeon. Three like muddy bottom stuff. So what's yeah. an example of yeah. something yeah. you can't tell me? Because <laughs> this is high level. This is like high yeah. test fishing. Yeah, but there's a lot of guys doing this. Not a lot, but I, I think we asked him. He thinks that maybe like 10, 15 percent of the sturgeon spears are doing worms. And sampling. then he knows even more stuff that you can't tell. Yeah, yeah. And he's Give just me like looking. A, like, tell me in pig Latin. <laughs> well, you got to think. You got to just think that this right here is a level that a lot of people would be like, yeah, I know of it. I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't, but it Definitely. makes me curious about what is the thing he's doing. Oh, absolutely. Is it peeing in the hole? <laughs> did he take any samples <laughs> like while that. you guys were there? <laughs> yeah. No, he did? Yeah, we filmed 
sample. Oh, well, yeah, but like was the mud just crawling with those worms or We didn't actually get to film cuz he'd done all this this scouting beforehand. Yeah. So when yeah. we filmed it it was it was sort of like after the fact. He was demoing it. Yeah. yeah. We, we were just and we didn't get a ton. We didn't like worked. move around until we got a real dense Yeah, but he'll sample. basically run a grid pattern and then make and then draw it out on a piece of paper. And then start writing numbers of per sample, you know, three worms, no. five worms, oh, yeah. six worms, three worms. And then all of a sudden it gets to 10. I, th- I can't remember what his threshold of good was, but I think eight, 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 eight or more. Mm-hmm. And so then he'll go out from that point and sort of triangulate and be like, okay, right here, there are in these five holes around it, there are more worms per scoop than everything around it. So this must be the, the, where the money shot is. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's great. It's like gold prospecting. Yeah, yep. for sure. Now, other guys also will go out and, and just literally sit in a shack watching a camera over a worm bed or not, waiting for a scouting, scouting to, to go. Trail, like running a trail cam. Yeah, but you can't. There's no like trail cam for underwater. So you just but have I mean, to sit yeah, there for like eight live, hours. It's like and live watch trail cam. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, and they like get onto one. Like he's here. This is a zone. Well, I think it, again, you're looking for like cons- cons- consistency. No, you're not looking for one particular sturgeon. An area they like. Yeah, you're like, okay, I was in this zone and I saw three today. Because this is a big ass lake. Giant. Huge. And the density of sturgeon is not very high. There's one sturgeon for every four acres of lake. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Yeah. yeah so I mean, around. just like put that into perspective when you're you're hoping. As to the get biologist one. Like, put it. A quarter sturgeon per acre. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was a very weird way of saying it. Like, they're big fish. Quarter, I'll take a quarter of one. Um, no shit. This is great. Oh, it was very interesting. This is going to be a very interesting television program. I, I hope so. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? 
You need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy myself online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability. And way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. So, yeah, Jake had the spot picked out. Am I missing anything else out of the scouting? Not that we can talk about. Okay. God, man, would I like to know the secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Just teasing that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But he, I think, I think one of the things to mention is that the, it's not like he just goes out and samples once. Like, all right, I'm good. He'll go out day after day before work and keep checking. Like, is his worm bed still here? Is this still the center for months? As long yeah, as he's yeah. got good ice up until opener. I'm gonna go out on a limb. And he goes out in the dark, man, to do this. Before I'm gonna go work. on a limb and suggest that this man is not a skier. <laughs> <laughs> this man does not ski. Not in Fond du Lac. <laughs> No, uh, no, I'm trying to this think. This is a true outdoorsman. <laughs> he is a uh, he is a uh, I don't know what you call a guy that uh, that runs a uh, um, sugar shack. Oh, a tapper. A tapper. I don't know. I'm making that a up. Tapper or sapper. Yeah, you could just throw Sap that into f- into the foraging bucket, though. You know. Yeah. Okay, so here you are. You got your uh, worms down there. You know you're on the worms. Yeah. So gizzard chat the, or the, not around. Y- you're not allowed to put a. Dark house spearing shanty. Now these shanties are specifically built just for spearing sturgeon. You do not. I mean, I guess you could, but it sounded like these shanties are out for the two-week spearing season, and then they're back in your yard for the rest of the year. By law. Yeah. Well, again, you could use you could go out there and, and drill holes and just ice fish through it, but yeah, I don't yeah. know why people must use different ice shanties for that gotcha. reason. But yeah. These are set up. They're, uh, man, I forget the dimensions. Yeah, and you just got, oh, never mind. Probably uh, 10 by 6, 12 by 6. I know yeah. that it was 6 wide. Yeah, I think I think 10, they, they weren't all exactly the same. Yeah, I think it was exactly. 10 to 12, right, right yeah. around there. They come in different shapes, and they get into painting them. You know, the classic one is um, finished in like a, in a sheet metal, right? Riveted corners. Yep. And then like a uh, pretty plain two or three foot like uh, spray painted or uh, plasma cut sturgeon, 
and it's got to have your name and address on it, you know. There's, we saw one that looked like a Green Bay Packers helmet. We saw one that was painted as uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. That's, uh, that's album choice, cover. man. Yeah, it was nice. <laughs> See you the um, So people get into it. Uh, Is that else? the album that Money's on? I feel like yeah. Money kind of ruined that album. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say ruined it. I go it. back it feels, and forth on it. It was yeah. their radio hit. <laughs> um. So the, you can only put them out there the day before. And the day before is called cut-in day because you're going to cut in a giant hole in the ice. So we roll out there. Jake's like, I'm putting my shack right here on the money spot. You guys all make a horseshoe around me. and Horseshoe? Uh, yeah. Okay. And I forget exactly what that was for. Luck. Maybe just the way – yeah, maybe luck. But uh, how maybe, much the, the, maybe the way the worm bed was running – can't remember uh, how, how much of a uh, gap uh, between shacks. Yeah, Sp- what's your spacing like? Probably fifty feet. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you're, you're not you jumping got, between not shacks. Far. No, no. You got. I mean, they're you're not right on top of each other. Yeah. yeah. If someone, if something happens in a nearby shack, you can hear him yelling. Yeah. Okay. Could you have jumped down, swam over, and popped up? <laughs> <in the shack>? <laughs> <laughs> No. That'd be a great trick, man. Oh, buddy. Oh, man. That'd be a good way to get jabbed with a spear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. And die. Oh. So, uh, yeah, we um, cut in day. We all pull out there. Now, that's not a legal thing, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't cut in and set up till the day before. So everybody's out there on cutting day. Everybody. But all- after the season, it's okay. What's okay? What? You said that you can hang out in your shanty after the season. But you can't cut your big holes. You can't have spearing holes. You after could, the season. Or before. Oh, okay. Okay. I got From you. Cut, so, the day before the season opens is what we call cut-in day. Yeah. You can, you can start setting up for spearing, but you, you can have a do big asshole for season. Once season ends, I'm with you now. I understand. Um, yeah, so it's like a mad flood of people. And Jake, to protect his spot, we actually didn't go out until late afternoon because people know what he looks like, he what he drives, he scouts, he knows they know this group, and he doesn't want – he believes that the sturgeon do react a little bit to activity, especially a lot of truck activity. Um, and so he wanted he, – he liked a spot that was quiet. Like we only had a couple other shanties outside of our group that were like within a couple hundred yards of us. There was plenty that were four or 500 yards away. Um, but, uh, he wanted a quiet spot. And so we waited till pretty late in the day to go, go and do the cut in. So we all, these shanties are on, um, uh, they're sleds basically or runner skids. Well, skids, the ones we runner. had weren't on runners. They were actually oh, that's right. on they were suspensions. Wheels. Like he they had one wheeled. with a full yeah. suspension, but you have them on runners. You have them on wheels. You have yeah. them on a full suspension. They're all, people are dragging them out there in any way they can. Any way they can get them out there, if you can move a shed or a shanty or a shack and and a huge variance between the really, really nice ones that are, you know, hooked up on tongues and, and have a full suspension and the other ones that look like someone just took their plastic yeah. garden shed. And there's a guy locally that actually <laughs> makes the, uh, the, the frame and the trailer that everybody builds their custom shacks on and it's set up in such a way that you basically unhook a couple um, pins and the tongue lifts up and that lets the shack fall down onto the ice. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, you kind of you mark your spot and uh, where you want it. And uh, then you bust out a chainsaw 
and uh, cut yourself a, uh, like I said, ours was probably the biggest hole because he has the biggest hole inside of his shanty. And it was six by three, maybe three and a half. You had to be able to jump over it. Just big enough that when you go to jump over it, you're like, pay attention, dude. <laughs> you don't just nonchalantly, like, yeah, yeah, you know, pass you. me the trail mix and jump I know, over just the whole it size, at the same man. time, you know? Uh, like, you're like, where's the safety bar to hang on to as I cross this chasm? Uh, so you, you take a chainsaw and cut it. And like you said, you cut at an angle. It's, it's funny because it, you think it would have to be steeper to get that effect that you were talking about where you can just see farther and there's not an edge of, an edge of ice that you're looking at. But it wasn't that steep of an angle. I mean, maybe, I don't know, 15 degrees? Yeah, 20 tops. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's spooky because it's spooky for me because Jake cut the first two edges. I'm like, okay, I get it. And you have to hold the chainsaw opposite-handed which would work good for you being a lefty so that you're always keeping your air intake. I don't up, hold up, I don't I don't hold a saw that way. Up top. Right? Follow no, me I throttle, because I throttle with my right hand. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it'd be opposite for you too. But uh yeah, you hold it I held it opposite. So your air intake's up top so that and your blades always running bottom so that cuz you're pushing a lot of water and you keep you want to keep your saw dry obviously yep. in the engine. And uh so I'm cutting a second too, but to get to be able to cut and hold that the saw the proper way, I've got to be standing on the chunk that I'm cutting out of the ice for my last cut. It's and, like something from like uh, <laughs> Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner. Yeah, and I think we're we're working with like eight minimum. I think up to fourteen inches of ice right in that zone. Yeah, they had a really crappy year. A yeah, lot bad of people ice. did not. I'll just add this in right now. Most years they have they sell about twelve thousand permits. They have ten thousand spears. This year they probably sold twelve thousand permits because they had to be bought in October, um, and they only had five thousand spears. Oh. Usually five thousand shanties, or no, sorry, five thousand shanties, ten thousand spears. This year twenty five hundred shanties. They figure about uh, two spears per shanty. God, that still seems like a lot. Oh, it, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But remember, it's a huge lake. Right. And, and that was because it was just not good ice. Yeah, so most people drag out with um, trucks. And the ice just wasn't of truck safety thickness. And so a lot of those people would either have to get like an ATV or a side-by-side or a snowmobile. And if you don't have that equipment or your you know buddy doesn't have it, you're not going to get to go out. Sturgeon fishing in the Anthropocene, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spooky. So this chunk that you're cutting out, though, I realize it has enough buoyancy that a 200-pound man can stand on it and, and cut the last corner and nothing's going to happen. You're not going to wildly coyote it down to the bottom of the no uh, of the lake all of a sudden. Yeah, well, <laughs> it kind of cool. bobs a little bit, but you, you're fine. That's great. Um, so once you cut you know, it out, you keep, when you got your rod on your leg like that, you keep thinking on getting hits. That really throws me off. Right. I kind of watch everybody's rod. I'll set it down. <laughs> I'm gonna fish high in the water column. Uh, then you take these giant. Um, it is yeah it's basically a uh what 12 foot pole 10 12 foot pole they were using a fire they were they were actually like firefighting equipment poles yeah with big hooks on them. yeah it's got yeah. like can't hooks mm-hmm. it's got a hook and a spike 
Oh, that kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah. like not a, a can, spud no, bar, but yeah. for poking. Yeah, kind of like ripping a spud through bar, walls but, and yeah. poking holes and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So what they do, because it's a big, big ass chunk of ice, you can't just tong it and lift it out. And if you did, and it, it, by the end of a two week season, it'd be frozen solid. So you'd be caught. You'd be making. You sort of have two dangers then, right? You'd Death traps. An open hole plus a giant chunk of ice that someone can run into and, and have issues with. So they do what's called sinking the cake. They call that chunk of ice the cake, and they sink it. So two or three guys are pushing down on it to get it below ice level, and then two guys get from one end and start pushing it underneath the ice. And then once that gets going, then the guys that we're pushing down all come to that end, and everybody pushes as hard as they can and try to get that one chunk of ice as far away from the hole as possible. Just in case, if you have a sturgeon that's near the surface, you don't want them to be coming towards your zone, your hole, and, not like that and then see that big chunk of ice and then cause them to veer away. Yeah, got to avoid that. Yeah, so you're trying to get it away from you. Um, then you pull the trailer over the top of the hole, drop it down, shovel snow all around the edges, again, get the light out, and uh, you basically open a big hatch in the uh, middle, and there you are. So you're basically sitting on a plywood floor that's carpeted real nice, and uh, you just got a, a hole in the ice that looks like you're not sitting on any ice because of the angle you cut in the ice. Um, now, we were spearing in like... 16 feet? 15, 15 16. 15, 16 feet of water, which on a clear year, you can see all the way to the bottom. But this year, you can only see about 12 feet. So, bottom feeders are going to be on the bottom. How are you going to see them in that depth? Taters. <laughs> well... <laughs> Start peeling. No taters, because you got to be able to retrieve them. If they, if it's, if it had been just a little more clear, we all would have had down crosses made out of um, vinyl uh, soffit material, like ten inch soffit. They basically just make an X and then drop that thing down in the hole that's attached to a string, so that you can later retrieve it. And so you're looking at an X, and even if it's kind of murky, if you get a big white X down there. It would give you some reference, and then if you saw a, a giant black shadow go over it, you would throw at the shadow. Yeah. Too murky for that. So instead, we were running cameras. And same fish camera that everybody has. You basically run it down. Oh, the s- oh was that a hit? That was a hit. On mine? Yeah. Uh, you don't think so? Well, my rod was up, and now it's I just parallel. watched it go down. Yeah. Could have been. You guys are distracting. Um, so yeah, you run a you run a camera basically between your feet. If you're sitting in the middle of the hole, you run the camera straight between your feet, straight down, and then it's maybe 18 inches off the bottom, and just pointed straight out in front of you. So you're looking at, depending on the water clarity, you're looking at a cone that might be go out to six feet. For us, it was so dense that we were figured we were looking maybe three to four feet. That's all you could see is a cone that went out to three three or four feet in front of your camera. And you're supposed to spear the fish off of what you're seeing on the camera. That's right. Very, so, very difficult. So Jake had a camera down between his feet, and then between the two cameras, we had a decoy that just hung from the ceiling. There was no jigging of this one. It just was stagnant there, static, not doing anything. Um Sturgeon decoys were even crazier than the pike and the whitefish decoys. We went up into a gal's uh, attic who had been spearing for, I don't know, 
70 some 70 years. years bowling pins uh bart simpson dolls uh orange um traffic cones things that did look like fish colanders were very popular for decades that like when it would come up to be stirring stirring season you couldn't find a colander in any kitchen store thrift store nothing everybody wanted to drop down a colander the latest thing that's very popular is the white coffee mug and then you got to choose if you want the coffee mug suspended or actually sitting in the muck at the bottom. Hmm. So again, people go people go nuts on their uh, decoys. God, Yanni's doing a good job. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> you know what it is? It's like you know, like in theory, you're supposed to go on vacation and come back all like reinvigorated for work. It's like that's what happened to Yanni. <laughs> oh, for sure, I felt it too. Just tearing it a new one. Go on. We haven't even gotten to the white fishing with Pat Durkin. <laughs> oh, I were to save that one for another. <laughs> no, I don't kid. want to burn it all up right now. Um. So yeah, we picked a. Uh, well, we're still on cut-in day. Um, <laughs> so cameras. <laughs> no, you're not. You're on the coffee mugs and whatnot. Yeah, well, I'm telling you about the decoys they're using. But the camera deal, I think most people are just looking at their little six inch, 10 inch screen that's attached to their camera, right? <clears throat> well, Jake's an electrician, pretty handy <laughs> with that sort of shit. So he's got two big screens. Yeah. 24 <laughs> inches. So we're sat, we sat across from each other. So my screen was directly behind his head and his screen was behind my head. So instead of staring kind of down at it with your neck getting sore and looking at a 10 inch screen, you can kind of chat with the guy and at the same time be looking at the screen behind his head. And they're thinking, man, this guy never breaks his gaze when he's talking to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and that takes place of staring into the hole. Now, there is a chance that you could have one come suspended through at 10 feet or even 6 feet. And it has happened. We heard plenty of stories where the fish came through, like his back rubbing the top of the ice. And like you had to take this because our spears actually hung off of a um, – they just had, I think one side he had an actual hook that was just barely, it was bent open. So it just still had a little bit of a lip to hold the eyelet of the uh, yeah. spear. Yeah. Mine actually was just a, um, just like a, a deck screw that was just at the right angle. And that little lip of the deck screw was enough to hang it onto. Cause we also heard some stories where people had the giant sitting there looking at their decoy and they couldn't get their spear off of their hook. And then, oh. and then the fish ran, swam off, you know? So you got to be ready. It's going to happen fast. Um, so yeah, you're sort of 99% of the time you're watching your screen, 1% of the time in short glances, you're just looking down. And what's interesting too is what Jake made clear to tell me about was that don't ex expect to see in this murky water, don't expect to see a six-foot sturgeon. When, he, when he's down there at 8, 10 feet, it's going to look like a football. But you're just seeing like the main part of the mass and you just know that there's, you know, there's three feet on either side of it or two feet on either side of the football. You know, you're just seeing the main mass because that's what's coming through. That's what your, what your eye can pick up. Um, so yeah, the heads of the spear, the spears are heavy, 30 yeah, pounds. I'd say 25, 30 pounds yeah, right in there. They, they, they've come up with regulations because people were getting a little bit crazy. They're like, imagine like a guillotine broadhead for a turkey, which is like two ra big razor blades, like four inches diameter. But they took that idea and took it to sturgeon spearing. So they had these like two foot 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cross. Crisscross spears. Crisscross. And so it's just like you're covering more surface area when you throw the spear, right? You have a better chance to get a tine in them. Ours were, I I believe the limit was 16 or 18. I think it was 16. 16. And ours were a couple inches shy of that. We probably had eight tines we were working with. Um, The spearhead detaches from the handle. Uh, so that you can fight the fish, you know, more easily. Because again, you're not. It's not like you just speared a five or ten pound pike. You now got a fish that might be fifty, sixty, upwards to two, close to two hundred pounds. Yeah, tussle with him. You got Yeah, he's attached to a rope. So the rope's tied into the shanty. There might have been twenty feet of slack line, I think. You know, between where it's tied off and where the and and the spearhead. Um, and the tines too are serious. They have. Um, Oh, what's the little toggle called that oh. flips out? Like a barb. Yeah. But it, yeah, but it's a, it's what's a the name for like a it, for, it, for it a, moves. It's yeah, like, like a, a spear fishing barb. head. Like a harpoon. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. I think it's to- yeah. a toggle. Yeah, it's toggle in line head. and then yeah. when there's any back tension, it it's out. It's yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw a couple of them get speared and it like literally one time through a minimum of four inches of flesh, and it's not coming. That fish ain't coming nope. off of there. there plus, a sturgeon is—it's a that skin is like shark skin, exoskeleton. Yeah, it's not coming off of there. Um, so yeah, fast forward to opening morning. Uh, you get there maybe six thirty. You can't start spearing until seven. Sturgeon spearing goes from seven a.m. till one p.m. No every single day. How yep. the hell do you and regulate so, that? Everybody's inside a house. Yeah, well, you can't have your spears inside the house. If oh, the hole okay. is open, like your your trap doors are open, your spears have to be outside of the house until 7 a.m. And then at 1 p.m., the spears have to go out while you're closing everything down. Once the hole is closed, the spears can come back in, you know? Wild. Yeah. Um, you used to be able to spear 24 hours a day. Shine a spotlight down in there? Yeah. And yeah. they they that actually um, proved to be a little too effective. Ooh. Um, they used to have these uh, party tents, like 40 feet across. They would cut giant holes, and the whole thing would be lined with dudes and spears just eating, drinking, and waiting for a sturgeon to come across. I mean, a thing that you could swim across, you know, and uh, just a, a giant-ass tent, and um, they'd run them all night long. With Unbelievable. Big, big light in there. <laughs> no shit. Kind of sounds like a good time. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, so for me, opening day, so yeah, basically at 7, it's like, okay, spears in, and then start watching the camera. Um, and I think, at like, we, the group started seeing some around 9. We might have had a, someone missed one at 9, and it wasn't long after, maybe 10, 11 a.m. Um, Jake's like, he, he caught a fish on his flasher. So he was running a flasher just to be like, maybe it might give us a, a second heads up that a fish is coming near. But he's like, um, looks like a small fish, looks like a small fish. And then all of a sudden, you know, he sees it on his screen. He's like, no, no, fucking sturgeon, sturgeon, like get ready, you know? So we all jump up and I'm looking at my screen. I can see, so in my screen, I can see a decoy and then his camera behind it. And he's seeing the decoy in my camera in his screen. And it looks like the fish has come up and is basically angled and right at the decoy. And so I see that. I kind of place my spear like parallel with the line of the decoy going down. I look up again. He's still there. 
And at the same time, Jake and I, we weren't counting or anything. It just happened. Both of us throw spears. And uh, I think that we corralled him. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I look back over the screen and I just see the tail swimming straight away from no, me. Oh, really? I, I mean, I can't explain it. I mean, it's like the decoy was there. I, I knew where the, the fish was on the right side of the decoy. Both of us had spears on the right side. And it was either that. We also heard stories that um, their head is so bony and It'll strong the that you can deflate. So there's a chance we could have deflected the head, uh, especially if was, he was right out of the decoy, because I probably wasn't. The head's 18 inches long. So I might have not been back far enough. But Do you remember when uh, either way. Do you remember in Guyana when we had that big catfish, that big banana catfish? Yeah. And I cocked back with my bow and a fish arrow on there. Uh-huh. And shot him. Everybody was like, oh, you missed, you missed, you missed. But it ricocheted off his head. A fish arrow out of a bow. No water. You aimed for the head. Not, not aim. <laughs> I held it up to his head. Oh, I don't Just remember that. A fish arrow. Right. So there you go. It could happen. Yeah. And probably, what, 45 minutes after that, we had one swim under our shack and did right. a similar moment. And, and it's it's difficult to describe how hard it is to triangulate your position. Because I didn't have the big screen TVs. We just had the little 10-inch Markhams. Yeah. And I'm looking down at that going, okay, that's what the screen says. There's the decoy. It should be here. And just hucking that thing and praying. And I thought, I, thought I, I nailed that first one. I was so excited because there was a bunch of tension on that line. Uh, and it was coming up, kind of wiggling back and forth. I'm like, oh, I got him. I got him, Brian. I got him. And what I had done was drilled three times through that soffit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just buried in that muck and started coming up and like swinging back and forth. And I'm like, oh, man, I got him. No, not even close. Oh, I got him, and he's a good one. <laughs> oh, love he's it. He's going to be tasty. Uh-huh. You can get one just like him at Home Depot. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it, took, it took me a good half an hour to dig those barbs out of that freaking soffit. Like I had to take the whole thing out of the shack, and it took forever. So out of your uh, out of your party, yep. What was the haul? Two, which is really really good because that weekend I think that not weekend three days we three fished days. Saturday Sunday Monday speared, and I think the whole lake produced around a hundred. Right. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. I've been reading the reports as they come out daily through the whole yeah. season, so my, my memory's muddied of that I, first I'm weekend. pretty sure it was right around 100 in three days, and that's 5,000 spears, and we got two fish. Wow. So I, I think that Jake's... Homework pays off. Oh, yeah. And we missed. I mean, I missed two. Yeah. You guys, we definitely had we definitely had some other oppor- opportunities in the group. See, um, having not been there, I'm sitting there being like, oh, I would have gotten them all. Oh, I, yeah. I know you think that. <laughs> I know you think well, that. It's a luxury having not been yeah. there. Here, that's here's why you should never too. go somewhere. Something to mention. You just sit and imagine how good you would have done. <laughs> something had to you been there. Something to mention is that the camera use is pretty controversial because of what we're explaining, right? You're yep. basically chucking it into the darkness yeah hoping to get a tine in there you don't know sometimes you know what's happening down there if you're hurting them at all the dnr has surveyed the public like two or three times about it and it's every time it's been a third are cool with it a third don't give a shit and a third um, don't aren't into it so they're like 
until it right now it's like kind of a social problem because there's just people sort of, you know, fighting about whether they should be using or not. He's like, until it becomes a biological problem and it becomes too efficient, like it's not our problem. What's your personal take on it? King, here you are, king of the king of the universe. Um, even with the cameraman, it is hard. So, king of the universe. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let it roll. Um, and it you spreads people been... out too, because listen, there were there's like a the other side of the lake because of currents, um, and you know less algae bloom or whatever. There was plenty of people that we talked to that speared sturgeon in eight feet of super clear water and they could see the bottom. So you could choose to go and do that. But Jake's theory is like, yeah, that's fine. You're going to see the fish. But over there, I think that there's 10% of the fish over there than where we were fishing. It opens up more water. Yes. Now, so it spreads people out. Did you bring me a container of the caviar? Yes. How come you haven't handed it over to me? Oh, you! I didn't bring you a personal little uh, Steve container. <laughs> I brought home one quart, and it is in the uh, office refrigerator. And Miles and I are planning on having basically an office uh, little party so everybody can get in. Nice. There's so much that if you want to take some home, you will be able to. How are you yeah, fixing the... Um... We'll have some crackers. Crackers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you want to keep it simple. Are you got, got your ivory spoons? No. <laughs> oh, I used to have a caviar spoon, man. When I was working on my first Ow. book, I had occasion when I was working on my first book to get a caviar spoon. Oh. But we want to be, we had so much whitefish caviar, like Great Lake, you know, Lake Whitefish caviar. Yeah. We were eating it on Cool Ranch Doritos. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't get through it all, man. It was like we were eating it like salsa. Yeah. It was oh. just like, like a, too many eggs, man. Did you, you make your, your, uh, tasting spoon out of, you know, something highly illegal? No, I didn't do that. I wish I would have, um, I can't remember how, but as part of the book, I can't even remember why, but I did order a couple caviar spoons. Not okay. illegal ones, though. Gotcha. Like ab, you know, like abalone shell, ivory. Mother of pearl yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah. Did you get robbed over there? Your bait get robbed, Yanni? I still got half of it. I'm going to let it roll. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a lot more to it, man, but you, like I said, Great phenomenal job. bit of hope. Like, <laughs> Great job. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. yeah. thanks. Good there to have you, Yanni, back. Interesting day on the yeah. ice. Yeah, good to have you yeah. back. I wonder if there's anything we need to wrap it up on. I mean, we could. I the cultural we, part we, was awesome. Yeah, we do you need to throw food? a shout out to Mary Lou Schneider. We have to talk who's, about who's the, the Schneiders. She's, you know, she's the decoy carver. Remember the Eurythmics? Mm, kind of the videos. I don't remember the videos. Sweet well, I like the yeah, like Annie Lennox would be doing everything. But then that dude would always be in the background. I feel like that's Miles. <laughs> <laughs> like, Yanni's like Annie Lennox, and Miles is like that dude in the Eurythmics that would always be in, like, in the background. Yeah. Oh, I was listening you know, to Annie Lennox train in vain the other day. Is, is that season closed based on quota or just a date? Does it just stay open? And Either one. Field? If you're looking at when does the sturgeon season end, Oh, it okay. ends in one of two ways. Okay, let me hit that. Uh, how... So the season is two weeks. Yep. Let's say conditions are perfect, and just people are just killing them nonstop. Is that a possibility? Yes, it does happen. We, again, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think we heard of seasons that were closed in four or five days. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so the season doesn't necessarily run its course. No. No. It has every year for the past five years because the water clarity has been pretty bad the last five years oh. but before that they had consistent good years and the seasons were closing you know as soon as dnr would set a quota limit saying based on population it is feasible for us to take this many without hurting the spawning and it's male female quotas 
Both. Yep. If, and the female quota is the one they're really looking at. When so many females are speared, it's over. Gotcha. Gotcha. But the last four years, it's run its course two weeks. Yep. 16 days. 16 days. It's a 16 day season. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes it three weekends, probably. Mm-hmm. So when you, uh, they have weigh in and check in stations all over the lake, not on the lake, but these uh, bars, they call them supper clubs. Um, we went to uh, Jim and Linda's. And uh, right out there in, in Pipe, Wisconsin. And uh, crowd gathers there every day right at around 1 p.m. Because usually people wait till about 1 to, if they have a fish to go and uh, go and check it in. And uh, so there's a pretty big crowd gathered there. You weigh it, and then the DNR um, cuts it open, checks to see if it's a male or a female. They then scan it. They're looking for tags. If, it's the, if the fish was tagged, if they can get some data off of it. Um, and then... That's it. I mean, I think they you, you give them some of your personal information and uh, you're, you're ready to go. And it's it was fascinating to me because sturgeon spawn in I think it's generally a six year cycle. Okay. So a female will take six years. Males are shorter. Female takes six years in between spawning runs, and they'll run upriver to do that. Um, but they'll they'll cut it open, and just by looking at the color and texture of the eggs, they'll call it an F1, F2, F3, F4, all the way up to 6, depending on how developed those eggs are. Yep. And the F6 the are the ones cook. that everybody wants, right? Those are the really, really That's the nice, good caviar. That's the best caviar. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had one fish that they had tagged. It was like one of the biggest ones they ever tagged upriver when she had spawned. And she was she she came in at like 240 pounds or something. And then the next year she got speared, and she had shed like 60 pounds of weight. Gotcha. Same fish, same length, just between those cycles of spawning, how long it takes for those eggs to develop and how much mass they have. Are most of these guys, I get the caviar, but are most of these guys, they're grilling it, frying it, cubing it up, and putting cocktail sauce on it? Man, I feel like a lot of people did not respect the meat of that fish enough. We heard a lot of people saying, oh, it's not very good. I thought it was fantastic every way we it's ate a, it. It's a fish that they love. As much conservation that's been done around it, they love to kind of hate it because it's not like when you look at it, it's not the most appealing-looking thing. It's kind of covered in a slimy mud. You know, the first thing everybody says you got to do as soon as you get it home is pressure wash it, you know, yeah. before you start, uh, you know, filleting it or whatever. Um, so... That was a little bit interesting because we didn't really find anybody that was like, oh, can't wait to put some, you know, hopefully I'll get some free, some uh, sturgeon meat for my freezer. But it was sturgeon meat and, I mean, habitat destruction, but it was like commercial harvest that knocked them down so bad. Yeah, but that was about in caviar. In the late 1800s. That was all about the eggs. That's what they were after. Yeah. yeah. Now, we did get lucky and went over to our friend Chester and Ike in Fenton Floyd's parents' house. And uh, they they had invited us over for dinner. And we said, you know, dinner sounds great. And, and I could spear a sturgeon. And since I could spear a sturgeon, it'd be awesome if we could try some sturgeon. We really want to try some sturgeon meat. And um, a few few people had said, oh, you guys are going over to the Floyd's for dinner? Lucky you, you know. Um, was it Peggy? Peggy. Peggy. Shout out to Peggy. Peggy, real good cook. You know, Pickle we're thinking, Peggy. okay, well, you know, yeah, typical Midwest mom, you know, probably throw it down, be some good cooking. Well, we roll in there and she's prepared six courses that would go toe to toe with any of the six courses that I could prepare. Like, just solid. She had smoked some, 
and then turned it into a uh, dip. She had, uh, I don't know what she did with the meat, probably poached it or something and turned some into fish cakes. Um, she did a plain fried piece over a uh, little salad with a little vinaigrette. It wasn't even really? fried. It was just sauteed. It was just like oh, salt and pepper. I like this lady. What's her hot... name? Peggy, Peggy Floyd. Peggy Floyd. How old is she? <laughs> <laughs> um, she's happily married. Um, but she did that one specifically. She's I'm saying, not asking for me. I just, I don't know. She was, People might be wondering. She did it specifically so that uh, you, um, so that we could just taste the, the flesh, yeah, you know, yeah. and it wasn't covered up with sauces and this, that, and the el- anything else, you know, and really get a taste for it. Um, what else was there? Oh, curry. Um, I got to make cur- fish curry more. I, you know, yeah. we've had it a couple of times over the years, and for some reason, I just don't do it at home. But she made uh, fish curry, served it over rice, real plain and simple, and just awesome. No, so that's good. Great. And then a uh, a uh, sturgeon schnitzel, really, with, with uh, asparagus and hollandaise Dude, sauce on the, top. Rolled out so the red good. carpet. Oh, ba- buddy, it's like a double red carpet, gold line, man, incredible. And every one of those preparations, of that fish was really, really yes. good. Very, uh, you know, steaky. I'd call she needs it. to go down to that supper club place and and <laughs> do a little sampler so people stop being dumbasses about their sturgeon meat. Well, I mean, it's one of those things, and this is, we we talk about this all the time, right? It's how you take care of your game is what it's going to taste like. And a lot of the, the tradition there is you get your fish and you parade it around the ice to every bar. Like, look what I got. And yeah. Yeah, but it's cold out. Yeah, it's probably still, still yeah. not the best way to handle your fish. Yeah. And yeah, but I want to get some beautiful bluefin tuna, I doubt they. No. They you, tend to probably get it on yeah. ice. And... You want to get that thing iced up real quick yeah. and away from the, the guts. Yeah. Uh, quick story. She didn't turn it into hot dish or casserole. Nope. Nope. I, that's the next day. I got. A, I know a guy that, uh, you know, their close relative, the paddlefish. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a guy that caught a paddlefish, and he was it was a giant, and he wanted to get it officially weighed, and he wrapped it up in a, uh, wet. He got a sleep. He was camping, so he got a sleep bag dunked in the river, wrapped the paddlefish up. I I heard this through the tax numbers. Tax service is telling me a guy, a guy caught a paddlefish, wrapped it up in a wet sleeping bag, drives it an hour to him because he wants it mounted, but he doesn't need the body. And he wants to get a weight on it. Mm-hmm. But the tax service doesn't need the body because they just use a fiberglass form. Mm-hmm. He takes that paddlefish down to the river, and same river that it came out of, takes it down the river, lets it go, and it swims off. <laughs> No shit. Yeah. That's awesome. Driving around That's a, a badass fish. Driving around in a guy's truck in a wet sleeping bag. That's a badass fish. I, I bet you these sturgeon, even with a couple spear holes uh, in their tail, they could probably go to a couple bars and hang on a, 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 a fish pole for, it's basically like a big buck pole, but they have them at these bars for the sturgeon and uh, hang out there for a few hours and you could probably release those things and they'd probably swim off too. Yeah. You I'm get, not saying it to. I'm not saying it to contradict your observation that you have to take good care of it. Because like JT Van Zant says, man, when you catch a fish and you and you treat it right toward the meal, you're sort of like setting. There's like a spiritual quality to it. Yeah, you're setting a thing into motion. Yeah, you know that you you have intention. Gut the fish, you gill it, you wash it. It's like you're 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 you're, you're putting it on a path. Mm-hmm. Right, a path of respect. 
Yeah, and, and you're you're conceiving of that fish as food from the get go, not just yep. something to be proud of and show off to your buddies while you get drunk. Yeah. Which nothing no I'm not dogging that practice in any way. I've done that many, many times. But with these fish, to me, it seemed like the culture and who knows if it'll change, but the culture really was more about being excited about the catch more than being excited about the consumption. Yep. Gotcha. And and I was skeptical. I mean, I don't know where you were, Yanni, but I'd heard so many people being like you can't eat them. I mean, we do. Oh, oh, oh good, good way to close out the yeah. show, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. Talk about biggins. There uh, we Miles. go. Miles. Yanni. Everybody else got done and had their rods in their hands. Miles is Yanni did great. I know we didn't cover all of the Furhead Ice Tour adventures. <laughs> no. Nope. will be more in the future. You brought me some caviar. Well, not necessarily me, but you brought some caviar that I'm going to be able to partake of. Mm-hmm. Um, good to have you back. I'm sure you'll miss more of our shows. <laughs> Thanks, or everybody. Phil the Engineer. What, what was that, that song you were singing earlier? Changes. I saw my dog run by. Phil <laughs> uh, the Engineer, I'm assuming you enjoyed yourself. You didn't really say much. I'm just soaking it in. I don't have much to add, but uh, I want to try some sturgeon, though. Good job, Phil. Hey, thanks. Way to bring her home. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers. And with occasional re-soling, they're gonna last you a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile and lots of help. You got to go visit Tacovas. You go to tacovas.com. That's T E C O V A S.com. And don't go gently, y'all.